Hi everybody, welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality analysis podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber, and with me as always is my co-host... Brian Deacon, hello everybody. And with us as seldom is our third co-host for this special retro episode... Matt Freeman. Alright, Matt's back from Doof. Yeah, I'm back, I suppose, yeah. Uh, Good to be here. Um, Big fan of Methods of Rationality, and I've been following along with the show, and... Thought it would be fun to join you guys and talk about this book so far. I thought it'd be fun too. Um, yeah, we didn't really put together a huge plan for this. Basically, we, uh, we we had the great suggestion from, I believe it was Cron Oblivion, who uh, puts together those wonderful Reddit threads every week for every episode. Um, and yeah, they, mess- they put a note in Discord that made me think or convinced me that this was a good idea. And so, yeah. Um, here we are. Uh, a little late, but better late than never, maybe. So It's only late because we kept saying we were going to do it. <laughs> and then That's how most it. things get late. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, chapter 1 through 9, or excuse me, chapter 1 through 21 is the end of, I think, what is canonically considered book 1. That's the end of Harry's first week at Hogwarts. He writes his letter back to his parents and kind of summarizes cutely how his first week went. Um and I didn't know if we wanted to kind of play this chapter by chapter or, you know, person by person who's introduced or just like overarching uh, thoughts, feelings, reflections, all that stuff. I think a little, I think let's just kind of like walk through it like chapter by chapter, just like plot line wise, and then we'll jump around as that doesn't feel like we feel like doing it. I think it's a good way to key it though, just to kind of start going through it. Start chapter by chapter and give ourselves permission to digress. Sounds good. Well, then there's no better place to start than the top, which is just uh, um, like the author's notes at the very beginning of the book. Uh, and I just trimmed out some of the relevant ones. So um, this one's fun because I'm not sure I'll have to we'll have to figure out if we see any going through. But the first thing that I like is this text contains many clues, obvious clues, not so obvious clues, truly obscure hints that I was shocked to see some readers successfully decode and massive evidence left out in plain sight. This is a rationalist story. Its mysteries are solvable and meant to be solved. And then the pacing of this of the story is that of a serial fiction, i.e. that of a TV show running for a predetermined number of seasons whose episodes are individually plotted, but with an overall arc building to a final conclusion. What's kind of fun is that this reads like a TV show sometimes. Like you and I mentioned that like the line, like the the page breaks kind of like signify like and scene change. Or the way that a um, chapter will end to be picked up again. Like it'll leave kind of not cliffhanger so much, but just like like the pacing of like plot tension coincides with the chapters. Yeah. That part's pretty well done. I think it's also, I think it's good that he points out to you that, that this is a mystery essentially that, 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 uh, just pointing out that there are hints tells you hints hints to what evidence evidence to what right well i'm curious when you guys first read this did you because i i think i wouldn't have picked up on that as except it like would have just parked it in the back of my brain um except for the fact of how excited everybody who's talking about it is about ooh will brian figure it out do you do you guys recall when you were reading it as thinking of it as being sort of puzzle-ish or mystery-ish like there was a big aha because it, ha- it hasn't felt it's starting to a little bit but it, it has more f- not that it was like oh I don't get what the big deal is it just didn't it didn't feel like that was even the purpose of it like 
there wasn't any like, ooh, I wonder what's going on. It was like, oh, you just like this story is interesting and like watching what's going on. It didn't feel like there was something like sneaky or hidden going on. Is that, it sounds like it's more that like people know that now after the fact. Um, I mean, do you guys remember it being that way when you first read it? That's a good question. On a first pass, I think like the mystery stuff doesn't really kick off until a bit later. Um, on, on rereads, it's great because you find all of the little clues that are dropped along the yeah. way. Um, but like there are there are things that seem like have been screamed out screamed out to be mysteries. Like um, Harry's know, like, dark side. Yeah, Harry's dark side, for example, Dumbledore giving him his mother's fifth year potions textbook and saying it contains a terrible secret, and him just explicitly being mysterious at him. Or just things then, like 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 why is. Like, like, why are certain things different from canon? And I'm not even going to list them because there's so many. But there, there are so yeah. many where you're like, well, okay, what's something's obviously going on with this, uh, well, you know? And and then and then you ask, you, you ask the question in your mind, and then you realize that clearly there is reason behind it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is like the most intricate and precisely contrived puzzle box story i've ever encountered in my life and i read a lot of books mm-hmm. so like i i i agree that like it doesn't add it doesn't the text itself if you didn't have this kind of disclaimer um getting into it yeah, you'd just definitely. be like oh it's harry potter but yeah. some things are and weird even then, i think even even with that there if i wasn't constantly hearing people going like oh like people are like super excited about what i will or will not figure out um because it doesn't like as you're watching it, it doesn't or watching it as you're reading it, it doesn't feel like information is being withheld from me or it's there's isn't anything being like dangled in front of me about like look at this thing you don't know it all just seems like it's just sort of plodding along this last the, the last little bit i don't know if it's i think it's after where we got it, but that that big you know mystery reveal with coral um is like one of the first ones where like ah because then you could like go back and see the things that were planted before i'd reveal it um that's i think that was kind of the big first one to be like oh okay that's what is going to be going on in this story but it's not even that it's felt like it's like missing or anything it's just like at this point it doesn't feel like that's the that's the story that's going on it's not like a a big mystery Mm -hmm. i think what one could do going through it is like when they notice that they're confused by something or something's called out to be confusing uh try to make a mental note of it and try and see if a you have the tools to solve it yet that harry's missing or keep an eye out for anything that shows up later that explains mm. it um so yeah it is fun and most things have re- have resolutions that are explicitly laid out at some point and if not they're findable later um but yeah we will we'll keep our eyes peeled for them that reminds me i got some feedback on i was i was curious if i was going to co-host hell for pointing out the rita skeeter thing but in uh, my defense yeah. and i think most most people agreed was that like it was explicitly in the text like if you had just read it closely you would have been like oh yeah i see it it's not like i was mm-hmm. like oh and the, here's this hint that i showed you or something um it it kind of yeah no, if you it, hadn't pointed yeah. out yeah i think it was definitely the right call there tell me about it especially yeah. it was cool to see it and you didn't like spoil it because it had already happened it was just like oh dude you missed this yeah totally and i guess i want to point out too that the last paragraph in the opening for the uh um the forward from the author was all science mentioned is real science uh in quotes i should put that that's real science as of around 2010 when he started <laughs> writing this story mm-hmm. um well it's it's only worth pointing that out because there was what the the replication crisis and a lot of social psychology studies in the mid 2010s 
that um, like I'm convinced that the core of most of these things remain true, but the fact is that much of the uh, like canon of 20th century social psychology didn't replicate when people tried to actually do that again in the 2010s. So I've been meaning to call call out when things failed to, or like, you know, ones that are listed on the Wikipedia page for failed to replicate under replication crisis. Um, and I think I've failed to do that so far, but... Are some of the things he's explicitly talked about in this book, some of the things that, because I thought it was more like, a, I didn't think it was like specific, like known thing. I thought it was just sort of a general problem that people were seeing that replication wasn't nearly as good as everybody thought it should be. Well, there's that, but they, they did it with several different kind, different studies. Like they didn't mm-hmm. just conclude. Yeah, that I know. It was they lots, they yeah, tried to replicate and found that they failed. Yeah. So. Were, were there like, like big, big ticket items of, of theory that were shot down for lack of replication? Or I guess because my, my impression of it after the fact was that it was just more of a, a disappointing trend rather than any like big slam dunk shooting something down. It's a good question. I know that priming took a really big hit. Um, just just I, I think the whole research area of priming um, was was kind of found to be v- far, far less uh, uh, impactful than, uh, you know, the, the literature up to that point had suggested that it would be. So that would be stuff like, you show people, you know, a picture of, a, of an old man or you, you prime them on the word old or something. Mm-hmm. And then they'll like walk down the hallway 8% more slowly because their brain now thinks mm-hmm. they're old or some bullshit like that. I mean, like th- that's the kind of thing is these things never made sense in the first place. And like it's when you hear them, you're like, huh, really? I don't know about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it's funny because uh, the best way to predict whether a piece of research will replicate is to just ask a bunch of people whether they think it makes sense or not. <laughs> um, and uh, that doesn't shock me because a lot of this stuff, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see priming having some effect. I, I wouldn't say the effect is zero, but I would also be really surprised if it was like a consistent large effect for all humans. There's also the fact, too, that like um, social science, like you said, you can ask a lot of people, does this sound like bullshit? And if the answer is yes or no, that gives you a hint as to whether or not it probably replicated because social science is mainly in the business of proving things that people already know. Um but that's not, that doesn't mean it's not valuable. It's nice to have concrete evidence for like, hey, you know that thing we all thought was true? Turns out here's support for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally, in fact, not not just occasionally, you, you, you do get results that are surprising and counterintuitive. Um, I think some of the research on conformity was overstated, but I know that's been replicated a bunch in different kinds of settings. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it was replicated poorly right after it was initially done. I the, will... yeah. So there's one yeah. thing which um, I don't remember if it's come up in the story yet or not, but the 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 well, if it hasn't come up in the story, should I just not say it, Stephen? Uh, J- just the research, not the actual application. Oh, wait, here, okay, I'm going to take my make a loud noise, and then <laughs> no, I know I can come. In. No, never mind. You're it good. Re- research. Go ahead. What's what's the name of the the, the research? The Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, oh we, yeah, we, we we have talked based about on it. I don't know. If, I don't think it's been brought up. Yeah, so oh, we've I, I plan to rip Zimbardo a new one when we get to okay. when that's discussed because okay. Zimbardo's a crank, and not just with that experiment. The guy's an, uh, in, in general, it's a it's a big red flag of pseudoscience if the proposed result comes from somebody whose job depends on them proving that result. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's a snake oil salesman. He's been trying. He's been shoving for this whole conclusion his whole life. Yeah. It's not even an experiment. It's it, it was not an experiment. It's a demonstration of a thing that he. Anyway. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of shady stuff in there, but I, I, I think just to kind of zoom back, I don't think that the book's like validity 
hinges on any of these things. I think, I think you can just read it as like, well, Harry, the character believes this to be true. And, um, usually I don't think believing it to be true leads him too far astray in any particular case, at least up to well, this they're point. Largely, they're like broader concepts that I would just be super surprised if there was the kind of thing that could get shot down for, for lack of reproducibility. Like, cause they're, they're very broad concepts that wouldn't hinge on even a handful of studies being valid yeah, or I mean, not valid. Occasionally in the book, he cites studies. Um, but more often than not, he cites like phenomena, like the, um, the fundamental attribution error or something. Bystander effect. Yeah. And so bystander effect is one that I think has had mixed results with replication. Um, I It is clear enough that people stand around an emergency or that they will, you know, they see a person fall on the street and they'll ignore it, right? Like that, that happens. Um, the specific ones of like people sitting in a room filling with smoke and then like the one person who's not a Confederate, the actual like test subject just playing it cool because everyone else is. I think those ones re- replicate less, but now I'm kind of talking out my ass. Um, so to zoom back up past the uh, um, the science bit, I wanted to finish this last bit. I should have just pasted, pasted this at the top of every chapter uh, notes that we've had so far. But please keep in mind that beyond the realm of science, the views of characters may not be those of the author. Not everything the protagonist does is a lesson in wisdom, and advice offered by darker characters may be untrustworthy or dangerously double-edged. Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> yeah, Brian. he's almost got your name right there. <laughs> but, I mean, so that's one of the things that I think it, it maybe I should have brought up more often, and I think I did, but it, it's hard not to read into the author when you're reading the characters, but um, I, I'm looking forward to diving into that a bit. But, yeah, I mean, that is the thing. From, from the top, at the top of pre-chapter one, he says, not everything the protagonist does is a lesson in wisdom. Not every, not every, not all the characters' views are the views of the author. Um, and so it's, it's, while I'd be tempting to project from the characters to the author, I think that it's one that the, that Yudkowsky explicitly set out to say, no, that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, this is I not mean, the really like, for me. That's like, uncomfortable and cringy is that it's hard to differentiate between and it's clear that like a lot of this is on purpose or a lot of it didn't wasn't clear and then became clear that it was on purpose like much of harry's douchiness is after the fact you're like oh that was on purpose um, which is like actually pretty impressive because i was so like convinced otherwise um, but it's like just not being sure and um which now i'm like a lot more leaning in the like okay benefit of the doubt what what makes it confusing in my head is the there's a, there's a lot of me like triangulating from what other people don't say um about what what are getting you know everybody what people will try to avoid spoilerizing um but the kind of th- stuff that like still seems to get lump into the like okay why would he do that um that people will defend um so then when so from that i can infer like okay that's not something that changes then um but it's like a really, it's like a confusing and sometimes uncomfortable thing because it's, it, it is a mix clearly. And um, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if any examples jump back to mind when we run through the quick little synopsis of the chapters. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting. I'm trying yeah. to, I'm trying to kind of parse through what you just said there. Cause I was, my, <laughs> my, my basic way of approaching books, um, especially when I'm, like overtly criticizing them and not just kind of consuming them passively mm-hmm. is um, assume the author is a genius and everything is intentional and 
like assume that they're an absolute master of their craft and every single word was was chosen with with utmost deliberation because at worst you're going to accidentally give the author too much credit which Mm -hmm. isn't really going to hurt anybody Um, whereas if you go the opposite direction and you and you require that they earn the benefit of the doubt then you'll end up in the situation where you don't extend them the benefit of the doubt when you should and so the idea that things don't change for example it's like well I don't think that implies anything in particular that uh, even if Harry were to continue doing something you know to the end of the story that you don't agree with that still doesn't mean Yudkowsky agrees with that yeah. or, or or if or if it does that's the text <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it's hard I mean yeah because yeah, because yeah and I, I get what you're saying it's that the when at some point you're like I'm not sure this is a ride I want to go go along with if you're not sure like if it's all yeah i mean yeah i take your point um but because i was thinking about it in relation to like like recent stuff in the plot with snape where snape was very clearly being a dick but it was not and not even so much that it was like oh you know cartoonishly obvious that that it was that way but i don't know it just it wasn't in conflict with the rest of the sort of morality is too strong a word for it, but just sort of the vibe of what is and is not okay to do. Like it was in sync, like the fact that it was not good was in sync with everything else. Was this other stuff is sort of like, it's, it's off balance. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's like what I said before though, like if this is all some master plot, um, then it's going to have a big payoff. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I know we're lingering on this beginning for a super long time, but mm-hmm. I, I had one comment I wanted to make about like the, 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 the mystery element is I think that's one of the most fun things about this story for me is, is it's like, it's not, it, it, it's as if, a, it's as if a mystery novel, the protagonist of a mystery novel were like a detective whose like purpose was to teach you how to be a better detective, because that's sort of what being a rationalist is like, like you're, you're, gathering evidence and building models and questioning your own hypotheses like that that is what a detective is so you can think of harry as as your detective who's leading you through the story and i think that that doesn't lead you too far astray i like the comparison a lot and i think i mentioned a couple of times the contrast with with a protagonist like sherlock holmes where Mm -hmm. like you don't get to be a better detective by reading sherlock books yeah um you get to have fun watching this wizard pull answers out of his ass at the end of the story right and it's it's fun sure but you're not gonna be able to run around and apply those skills anywhere because they're not skills it's just he's he's a he's a complete mutant and yeah. he's yeah so they're, they're also I, I guess i haven't read any fair number of like proper mystery books that like would give me a baseline for what it's like to um I don't know. I, I if you have a good recommendation, shoot it my way, and I'll, well, I'll check it out. I, I love all the ton of French mystery books, and they actually remind me of HPMOR in the specific sense that there is a lot of like competence porn element to it, where um, where you're just like, oh, these detectives are so fucking cool. Like they're just they're so good at this, and just like following their train of thought and and their like ability to to like read people and and figure situations out. It's just awesome. And it's awesome in the same way that following Harry as he, as he like puzzles through things and, and following his train of thought is, is awesome and fun. Yeah. And that's what's, and I like that a lot about this and the, and like the difference, cause I, I am on the record as really not liking Sherlock Holmes um, because of that. I mean, what you call competence point, except for me, like, I mean, I totally get into that too. It reminds me, it's sort of 
uh, Dune reminded me of Sherlock Holmes a lot in the ways that like um, Paul Atreides is just sort of like in, like literally inhumanly competent and everything, practically being psychic. But and it, but it's not quite psychic, so it, it is that sort of like completely unrealistic levels of intuiting everything. Mm-hmm. But like what works for it in Dune is that it's sort of explicitly that like he is the Kwisatz Heterok. With Sherlock Holmes, there's some sort of implication that like, oh, if we were all just smart enough, you could you could discern that he was the murderer because there was clay on his shoe. Yeah. Um, which and so that's sort of like the big, you know, gaping hole in it. I mean, that's what's what's cool about this with Harry Potter is that he's like he's showing his work. Yeah, right. I, I I like Dune a lot, but the the re, the reason Dune is cool is it's fun to imagine what we would look like with ten thousand years of of like mm-hmm. development in doing math in our heads. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can read that book and have that level of skill at doing math in your yeah. head. Whereas I think what Yudkowsky is explicitly trying to do with this book is be like, look, you read this book, you internalize these lessons, you'll actually get better at this. And yeah. I think I think he's right actually, which is the yeah. the best part of all. Well, and, that, and that's the good thing. Like with. I mean, and that's what's required is that you either have to explain it or you ha- or you have to like wave your hand, you know, because and that's what Dune does is like, this is magic, you know, so they're like, yeah. yes, we know that's ridiculous. Therefore, he has to be magic in order to pull it off. Not necessarily, but it's, you know, the equivalent of magic. So and that's what and the, and the, so the opposite that Harry does is by filling that in. He's like, no, this is how you would do it. Um, I think so I think that's that actually. Time. Yeah, I think that's a good tie in actually to the first chapter, because that's when. Uh, like, like we, I think we did the first five at once because they're all really short and they kind yeah. of read like a comedy. In fact, other than like the the very serious conversation with Draco in chapter seven, um, like most of the first book is a comedy. I think it's not wrong to read it that way. Like it's it's there's laugh out loud moments and there's there's deliberate setups where like this is hilarious. Um but, yeah, and it's kind of as we're going back and looking again. It's neat to it's, and it's sort of the same again, like television shows, like the first episodes of like one of your favorite shows. You go back and and see it, and you can see how sort of like interestingly, like everybody's sort of still figuring out who they are and how they fit, and how it like it hasn't found its voice yet. But in a kind of an interesting way, it's, it was kind of neat to like go back through and look at this and um, sort of like as Harry's trying to figure out how he navigates this world he's in. Yeah, and and we get immediately that it's a different Harry when it starts describing the house. Yeah. Like it's it's the first description is all the books on the bookshelves lining the walls, you know, overflowing in piles, and there's science fiction, fantasy, science mm-hmm. books, and this is an eleven year old who quotes the Feynman lectures, right? Um, and his so, the, his the, and they a few times go back like the sort of thing he has with his father is sort of their like their love of literal love of literal actual books. Um, both in like walking through a bookstore, but the, like the reverence for the physical object and like, which is not yeah. something, or, you know, originally yeah, he, was like. I think there's a line somewhere when they're out shopping, when he's shopping with McGonagall about how it's okay to bribe people with books. And um, he goes like just meandering into a bookstore, like without telling her that she, that he's leaving her side. And then she's like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? He's like, oh, I saw a bookstore I haven't been in before. It's a family trait. We have to go into a, a new mm-hmm. bookstore. And she's like, that's the most Ravenclaw thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so let's see. We can try and take it chapter by chapter. We'll see, I guess, how, how it pans well, out. Well, it's sort of like one through five kind of are one chapter, really, by the way. Yeah. So, like, at the end of one, he says, all right, you know, screw you guys. I'll go do my own science. I'm not going to let you guys sit and just argue about whether this is true. Like this, he got, So he got the, the, basically the, the conflict of the chapter is um, 
they he they've received his acceptance letter to Hogwarts. His mom says it's real, and his dad says magic's bullshit, and it's weird that you're pretending like it's not. And she's like, no, seriously. And he's like, wait a minute, why are we arguing? We can just do an experiment. So he runs out back mm-hmm. with his return letter and just screams for an owl. And then Mrs. Fig asks, oh, you don't have an owl. Oh, that's that's silly. How'd they expect her to reply? I'll send that off for you. And it's like this kind of funny moment where, because we know Mrs. Fig from the canon version. And that's, yeah. I think, another thing that we mentioned that's worth reiterating is that one of the beauties of doing a fan fiction rather than just like a whole original story is that he gets to skip much yeah. like the the base ground world building and like and you just get to like never run read, through like there are no big those kinds of big reveals are gone um so you can just yeah. kind of like skip right over you don't have to like try to figure out how to navigate around it or whatever you just kind of run right through it yeah it is possible to read this without reading the canon books but then i think some of like much of the humor would be lost on you um much of like the the gigantic character all the gigantic character character differences would be lost on you but yeah, like the little the Mrs. Fig thing. Like we knew that she was Dumbledore's plant from uh, the canon versions, so it wasn't surprising mm-hmm. to see her help him here. It was um, funny now that you mentioned that. What what I was just thinking a couple of days ago was how good a job he has done such a good job with Quirrell that I guess if I had stopped like to consciously consciously think about it, it would have occurred to me. But my hind brain was like, wait a minute, Quirrell might be Voldemort. Like he's done such a good job of like running off on his own thing that I had like completely forgot that that's the like that's the default position, and now I'm like surprised by the possibility of it again, because he's like because Quirrell I think, I want to say Quirrell or Snape are the biggest, now Depp probably Quirrell the biggest like completely reinvented characters like he he just basically like used him as a blank canvas and just made a whole new thing out of him entirely. So. Other other than maybe Harry being the biggest difference. <laughs> Yeah. But that's yeah. almost cheating. That's, yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so then in Chapter 2, McGonagall shows up to support the legitimacy of the letter that, by demonstrating magic. And she floats his dad and then turns into a cat, and Harry's mind is sufficiently blown. Yeah. I um, remember that was a good, and as we talk about, like, the television-like transitions where, because that Chapter 1 ends with, um, because she's just like, oh, I'll just send it for you. That's It was such a, like, BS sounding like, okay, that's a completely mundane explanation that you could still call it's like like the it's the bs version of that story like sure he's actually a wizard because she took it to the owl that you'll never see um so you're thinking like maybe the next chapter is going to start up with you know that it's you know further bullshit but it like the chapter starts immediately with and she turned into a cat so like they're just we're going to throw that away too about wondering whether or not magic is real i thought that was yeah I remember lamenting with you about how it it might have been interesting for him to have to go back in and sheepishly explain to his dad what happened. I know, I know that, and like, that's what I was yeah, expecting. And, but I think it was good. Vic took the letter. Yeah, and I <laughs> and I think he was purposely like setting that up as our expectation that would be like, well, that kind of sounded like bullshit, and that magic isn't real. Um, and then he just like ripped that away immediately with the next chapter. It was a good. It was a good transition, or lack of transition. Yeah, it was an interesting. I you know, I hate kind of. And luckily, we're at the point now in the story after, mostly after book one, where like there's enough departure where we get to quit, we get to quit, excuse me, we get to quit referencing canon. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it just thinking about canon for a second, having Hagrid go collect Harry kind of proves magic's a thing by itself. That and the zillions of letters that were flying in and out, you know, into windows mm-hmm. and into the chimney and all that. But having this 15 foot tall guy show up at your house, or however tall he was supposed, to, like 10 feet, I forget, but. You know, this gigantic person, like, he's kind of proof that something's going on in, in mm-hmm. just his existence, right? 
I don't know how he's supposed to knock on someone's door and not be like, oh, okay, yeah, the the universe isn't like I thought it was. I always had trouble with picturing Hagrid as as giant as he is supposed to be. I guess maybe just because from the movie, like, yeah, I always just pictured him as just a really big guy, but like not enough to like, you know, alarm anybody. Yeah, I think I mean, you know, it's, it's just like your brain has trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain has I trouble mean, like remembering that concept. Yeah, for sure. It's the problem with movies is that's just yeah. completely overwritten how I see all, everything. Um, yeah. I, even when I'm reading HBMOR, I, I see these characters as the movie versions. Um, yeah. The thing about the first couple chapters, I mean, you, uh, that you guys haven't talked about already, and thus I, I don't feel the need to talk about it, would be. Harry's dad specifically, because he's he's kind of an almost un, almost completely unique character in this book, where yeah. he he knows he knows more science than Harry, obviously, um, but he is he doesn't he doesn't know this art of rationality that, that Harry is sort of supposed to be the avatar for, because it, it immediately occurs to Harry, oh well, if, if this is a question, it's an empirical question, we can perform an experiment, but for uh, for his father, it's more about just seeming right and winning the argument which is uh is very annoying um and and this kind of immediately puts you on harry's side actually where you're like yeah i i i don't want to be like that i don't want to be the kind of person who like is smart but thinks that that means i don't have to actually test my beliefs against reality and and kind of tricks you into being on harry's side immediately at least it did for me and how he's like in the really obnoxious way he treats petunia in that attitude. Yeah, As, exactly. And especially now that you say that, because his father's supposed to be a scientist, right? Yeah, but so I mean, I, I mean, I'm a scientist. Think, Most yeah. scientists don't actually live this way in their lives, yeah. right? Like, they, they, they're, they're just as arrogant as anybody. Um, yeah, it's, his, fa- it's super- his father sounds like he's every single day in, like, corduroy jackets with leather patches. Absolutely. And oh. what's funny is, like, this is by far the worst his father ever is, at least in this part of the book, right? Like, he, he seems... He seems like a good dad. It's just like this first yeah. scene, he comes off so poorly. Um, and I really do think that's like a trick, basically. It's like a it's like a little sleight of hand that, that Yudkowsky has done to make us side with the protagonist. And um, um, it's fairly typical, like, YA, uh, you know, young adult fiction intro is to is to show that that no one understands the, the the young protagonist and the world is stacked against them and it's all unfair and their adults don't, uh, th- their, their parents don't, um, don't believe in them and so forth. It's, it's, uh, so it's, it's not like he's inventing this trick out of whole cloth. It's just, I think, very well executed here. No, that's mm-hmm. a really good point. I remember there was that scene in that first chapter where after they're done, like his parents are done fighting, and his mom's off cooking uh, his father's favorite meal to show what a loving wife she is, and he's reading a high-level maths book to show how smart he is. Um, that's the kind of like signaling game. He's, he's, flex, you know, he's flexing mm-hmm. his degrees at her. Rather mm-hmm. than like meeting her as a person, yeah, no, that's that's a really good point, um, and it does win as it won me over to Harry's like you know what I'll take my empiricist uh, approach rather than just argue with the two of you over this, mm-hmm. um, and then that is resolved quickly when McGonagall shows up and uh, you know blows their minds with uh, I don't know the cat business, right? Um, so let's see, chapter three, they're at Diag- uh, Prof- or Professor McGonagall and Harry are at Diagon Alley to acquire Harry's class materials. Um, he learns of his fame and the whole boy who lived business, um, as well as the heroic deaths of his birth parents. And 
I think I used this line already, but she remarks that he's the most Ravenclaw student she's ever met. Yeah. And these are the first tells, beginnings of the, like that warm relationship between Harry and McGonagall, which has come off really well. I like that a lot. I hope we get, we're getting McGonagall's like lately in these last few chapters been kind of off to the side for a while, but I hope they, they bring that back because that's worked really well. Yeah, she hasn't been in the last couple chapters, but yeah, yeah. I, I like that too. It's like his, his school mom, basically, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that was something that also made me, as we were talking about like differences between the book, the book and the original movie and this, that this it feels almost like something that was taken from the movie. And this not even not that the McGonagall in the in the movie was particularly warm, but that she was a much the uh, what was her name Maggie Smith I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that role, like she did that so well, and she made that character in the movie much better than it was in the book, at least to me, a lot more interesting and. Um, so and to me that sort of felt like okay we're going to even go farther and make McGonagall even more interesting, and especially in a different direction because I think she was the difference between the original book and the movie was that she was sort of more spectacularly school marmy, um, and this is more like took it even in the opposite direction, a kind of a charming like combination of both like she's both like total stick up her butt but also very warm at the same time. <laughs> yeah, she I think she has these different hats that she wears you yeah. know for. I'm going to be the warm and approachable, like, let's, especially like, I forget, it must be, I think in chapter five when she's, or five or six, when she's talking with Harry about like psychoanalyzing him because he seems like he's yeah. suppressing uh, childhood abuse. And she's like, you know, you can talk to me. It's okay. And um, that that's much more of like the, the warm and approachable person mm-hmm. rather than like the strict disciplinarian that she is when she's at school. Um, when I was skimming back through these, there's a part in... I think when Harry's being sorted and she's, she calls the Weasley twins in her head, the Weasley horrors, which is, <laughs> I think some nice little character building for her. Cause it, it shows where she's coming from in regards to like how she tries to run the school or run her, you know, part of the school. Mm. Um, let's see. So let's see. Chapter four was the efficient market hypothesis where they arrive at Gringotts and Harry learns he's rich AF uh, about 40,000 galleons, which equates to a cool two mil in muggle dollars. Um, I remember at some point I had that number in my head. This is where that number came from. And so that's why I was trying to equate how much 100 galleons is worth, uh, which was Draco's spending money for the years. So, um, which again, when you have free room and board, that seems like a lot of like offhand cash to have, but I guess not when you're super rich. So, um, let's, I mean, other than that, he, oh yeah. So, I mean, he's trying to, this is maybe the first time where he's like, arguing with an authority he's trying to convince her to let take more take more money out of his vault and he's he's yeah, spinning he's it in sort a of like way. haggly about it like he's yeah, trying he's, he's like he's like almost working the wrath like he's trying to see how much he can get out of it and but not yeah, like a malicious way yeah he's saying like you know it should be reasonable for me to spend a very small fraction of my fortune you know just a little bit don't panic um mm. because in in a sense i actually did earn this by killing you know who um <laughs> And then he says, it's, what do you say, Professor McGonagall? It's for the sake of children's reading, the best of all possible causes. (laughs) And uh, it's, she, this is where she's kind of struggling with which hat to wear, because, like, she can't imagine, like, a legitimate reason for, you know, somebody walking around with this kind of money. Like, why not just buy school supplies and go home? Why does he want all this extra stuff? But then he keeps arguing with her. And then, um, it's almost like she's sort of like, irritated with herself that she can't be mad at him like she's she wants to be mad at him but she keeps like finding it charming yeah um Um, i'm trying to remember like you know going through 
my memory of the first, I guess this is still the first episode. We were going pretty fast back in the day. Um, like, you know, your, your thoughts on Harry going through, I think maybe when we hit chapter 10 is kind of like a turning point, at least it is for, for some readers. Um, cause, cause it shows that, okay, this isn't the guy that we're supposed to be 100% behind all the time. You know, we're, we're not supposed to love everything he does. This isn't the intention of the author for us to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and like you, I think you, you much have Marcus said a handful of times. What was that? The sorting hat ceremonies that we were thinking of. Or? Yeah. But, but before that, you must have said a handful of times, like if this is the character that we're just supposed to like this whole book, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Cause this guy's a dick. Um, I, I think there's a couple different kinds of readers who come to this story. Like I, I like that you're in the unique situation where you're kind of being forced to read it. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how far you would have made it on your own. I, I did know that... Part you of know, I think a lot of it is that because it's like, okay, read a couple chapters. I mean, you know, it's like every week we're talking about like 45 minutes of reading. Uh, and then, to, so we talk about it way more. So I think I would you would just probably sail through it and not, you know, worry about it too much. But like, because we're analyzing, we're also overanalyzing. Um, that's the big thing. But I was thinking like the, the funny metaphor I thought of it was that this is sort of like everybody agreed that they really love their grandma's cooking and she makes the best apple pie in the world. And let's invite Brian over for Sunday dinner and ask him what he thinks about grandma's apple pie. It's good, right, Brian? I mean, yeah, it is. It actually is good. But yeah, okay. <laughs> I have further comments, though. Yeah, no, I mean, not even what, this. Go ahead. What, what, I mean, so, I mean, what, what's funny is I can, I can very much relate to this because some fraction of people listening to this also listen to We've Got Worm. Um, and, and for those of you that didn't, that was a show that me and my co-host Scott did where we went, went through Worm in, in pretty much the same fashion as Stephen and Brian are doing this. And what we found is um, when I read Worm um, originally, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. Like, like I didn't actually see it as this complex, nuanced character portrait. I, I, I got that the character was really great. I loved the character, but I didn't really get it. And then I went through it with Scott um, to do the podcast, and especially with, especially coming from from him, him sitting with the, with every chapter, you know, every whatever chunk of story, and, and thinking about it and talking about it, he came off, he came out with this really interesting perspective that that this character was actually not as kind of selfless and heroic as she thought of herself as being. Um, in her thoughts and and what was funny was that like he was obviously right like the author had obviously crafted this character to be um, flawed self-deceiving really really good at um, compartmentalizing her her motives away from herself but but everyone who just blasts through the story and reads it as a as a piece of basically just entertainment they come away with it like Scott you're being so unfair to this character like Mm -hmm. she was trying to do the right thing and it's like Really, if you read the book carefully, it's it's more complicated than that. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here is that like someone like me, I never reacted negatively to, to Harry, to be honest. Um, like all this stuff in these first chapters where he's sort of trying to like game McGonagall, I can totally relate to being like the 11-year-old kid who basically just was like nursing a seething rage at all times that I was being treated like a second-class citizen um, but something below a second-class citizen, really. I mean, a, a, a kid in an American public school is is nothing, right? It's it's quite it's quite bad, um, and and I still feel that even as an adult. Um, but but like 
but like if you if you don't even if you don't empathize with Harry, you can at least still see that um, the author is doing is playing a game at a level higher than just saying like look how unfair it is to this character. Like, th- th- don't you feel bad for him? Like maybe you do, maybe you don't feel bad for him. Maybe you think he's a little shit. Maybe you wish you could have been this, um, you know, snarky uh, when you were eleven. In either case, you can see that the author is kind of playing a, a little bit of a game with how we're perceiving this character, and I think that's probably the most important thing uh, to to carry in, in a in a in a in a project like this, in my opinion. Well, and also, it seems pretty clear, like because everybody talking to me about it, and I think I said this before, like they are measuring the entire Harry, and I am only you know measuring the first twenty five percent of Harry. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he pretty clearly goes on an upward trajectory, but right now he's not that entire person. So, I think yeah. for me, even if he had stayed this way the whole time, which, you know, regarding whether or not, or disregarding whether or not he goes through major character evolutions, like, I I, I was in Matt's boat, like, I read this guy and I'm like, this is so fucking cool. I, I didn't have the image of him as an 11-year-old kid where... Like, and I remember that was a bit of a hang up for a while too, because like you have an eleven year old, and if you're mm. if your eleven year old talks to you the way that he talks to McGonagall, you'd be like, "Listen here, you little shit." Well, actually, I haven't, um. st- I haven't actually had a problem with that at all. I mean, because and and the and the weird S and M stuff that seems to bother everybody so much. I don't actually think that like Harry and Quirrell are going to try to fuck each other, but um, but like it doesn't. It seems to like viscerally bother other people more and I think a lot of the reason why I just think it's funny and it doesn't really bother me much is because he doesn't read to me at all like he reads to me a little more like a college freshman like he's a 19 year old kid um which is actually I mean for some reason totally fits entirely within my suspension of disbelief like I don't have any problem at all with that um and so I don't really worry about like when he's saying all kinds of stuff that no 11 year old would ever say um but it just I mean it just that part just seems to work Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I I totally agree, but I think your memory is being uh, overly kind with you. I know that at the time you hated this kid, uh, <laughs> and, and and for being a kid, you kept calling out his age and saying that it was oh, unrealistic really? for an eleven year old. Um, and um, I, and I'm, I'm not shitting on you for it. I just think that it even now you're you're coming to appreciate the protagonist mm. a bit, to where it's it's coloring your previous views of him, which is kind of fun for me to to think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, it is interesting. So, so like, I, I, I'm not claiming that I was as, as cool as Harry when I was 11, but like <laughs> the, the, the difference between me at like 11 and me, like just a few years after being 11 was that I learned not to talk the way Harry sounds like, like mm-hmm. I read too many books and I didn't talk to enough people. And so I talked in complete sentences with the vocabulary of a 19 year old um at age 11 and then i i learned like oh nobody uh like nobody's impressed with this shit and also this is not hyper competence this is this is inferiority actually because because talking to people is its own skill separate from writing essays and then i learned how to talk to people by the time i was actually i probably got pretty good at that even when i was 12 i think being 11 was a pretty shitty year for for a little matt um, but, um, but like, that's, that's one way in which I sort of relate to, uh, uh, Harry talking the way he talks and coming off the way he comes off. I know that's, I probably have said it multiple, multiple times by now, but like, it's not that I like say like, oh, I can't believe people would be this way. It's that I identify overly much with this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh yeah. I mean, I was totally, I would say was, am often still totally <laughs> like that. 
Um, and that, and I've said that before, and, and that's why it um, grates on me even more. Is because it's like, oh, I know, it's, and it's not even so much a judgy thing. It's like, oh, I fucking hate it when we're like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Someone asked in the Discord. Um, I, I sent you the message on who to attribute to it. Let me see who that was because I thought it was a nice kind of thought prompt here. It was from, um, let's see, oh, uh, Luna Tulip on. Oh, it was on Reddit, um, and they they summarizing their long thing that they wrote which is awesome everyone check out the the weekly posts that uh chron oblivion puts up for us every week they're great and so are so are his write-ups um you it's uh it's fun i i won't belabor it but um basically they, they thought that yes because you you mentioned a few times that like you oh man i relate to that so much that makes me hate it they're like if you relate to it why oh, don't yeah, you yeah. like empathize with it uh, uh, yes, well, is it i don't know if we turn this whole thing into like psychoanalyzing Brian, psychoanalyzing Harry, but... Um, I, don't, I don't mean to do that either. No, well, it I'm, already is I'm that perfectly, perfectly happy to do that. But um, No, because it, it's not, I guess, cause, and I, I did read that, and, uh, and what I thought was that, so yes, and, and again, I think like that's the source of a lot of like the, the friction with me is, um, is very much can relate to it if it felt like it was being acknowledged or what do I want to say? It's almost like sometimes th- those things are being like put forth as like virtues. I'm like, no, you're just being a dick about it. Like, like the fact that you are correct is in no way relevant. Um, and so the, and, and so that's, so yeah, it is the thing. It's like, I completely, like I totally do that, but it's the, like, how can I, I can very much relate to it if it's somebody else also struggling with that but if it's somebody else just doing the thing and loving that they're doing it then it's like oh fuck i don't know but that is exactly the kind of thing that ex-smokers do about other smokers when they're totally dicks about it like oh i can't believe so i'm i'm doing that too sorry (laughs) (laughs) well no i think i get it you're you're saying that like oh yeah i i relate to this and oh man that's why it grates me and it's not because you're failing to empathize it's because if, if it's a character trait that you're not in love with about yourself and then you see this being you you, you perceive it being held up as like yeah. isn't this great and you're like no fuck that it's yeah. not yeah and it was because it was like something if like harry was like a f- raging racist it wouldn't i mean it would be shitty and i'd be like what the fuck is this but it wouldn't like it wouldn't like get this reaction out of me because it's just like okay that's not my thing but Fair enough. yeah it's because i mean yeah and it's like i identified it's too easy for me to also act that way so. I can dig it. Um, I wanted to move. Let's see. Chapter five was the fundamental attribution error. That's where he learns that there are basically no examples of wizards who know the scientific method, uh, and that like they're educated to the age of seventeen, and that it takes over any like muggle education that they would have had. So basically, wizards have stopped being educated in science at the age of eleven to the extent that they were ever educated in it. And I think it's like ten. She said muggle-borns were admitted in her in the average, like, every year. So of those, the average of, like, the expectation of any of them being, like, child prodigies was going to be extremely small. So he was like, oh, cool, there might be some, like, low-hanging fruit science for me to grab um, here in the, the, the wizarding world. And it turns and out there is. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny, like, his first original discovery of, um, like phenomena about magic that partial transfiguration can be a thing which doesn't happen in the first book but happens right around mm-hmm. right after um that i mean that's hardly like i would say low level fruit or low-hanging fruit for you know like a, a 
even like a high school educated salt uh you know science kid with a good mm-hmm. you know a good background um to to really get on a gut level that you know stuff isn't what it appears to be when it's processed through occipital lobe is it's really low uh low level interactions between invisible particles like that's a fact we all know but it's just like a piece of trivia um it doesn't feel like reality i thought that was that was one of the fun things about that chapter and i yeah, wish and you know, the kind of the cool like i don't know, believable is the right word but the, the part that seemed to fit well is that it's such a weirdly specific like it's interesting but in a like only if you think about like the implications of it it seems like like it was convincingly small scale. It's like this small thing without any sort of obvious, like, oh my God, this is going to change the world. Um, but I like it. So it, it, it felt like that sort of like scientific, like nibbling off a little piece in the beginning. Um, so it was, I, I like that better than if it had been some, you know, something much more splashy, like, you know, Harry had figured out how to, you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat literally or something. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I hear what you're saying. The fact that it was, it was wonky. This... It was wonky magic, which seemed to fit. Yeah, I mean, it was sufficiently small scale. Like, it yeah. wasn't necessarily game-changing. It's not like this is the kind of thing that, oh, my God, this is my path to godhood yeah. that he keeps talking but about. But also, right? like, digging, I guess it was that it was digging into particulars that are that matter but do, would not seem to matter. Like, they, they don't seem, it doesn't seem like a particularly big deal if you just, like, say it really quickly, but then you're like, oh, actually, that's kind of a big deal. I don't know, I kind of like Yeah, it. no, totally, I think I agree. Um, let's, I think, let, in stumbling here i, I just and, want to talk about draco <laughs> yeah so that's that's the next thing that happens well he he decides on his path of world op, world domination excuse me world optimization and this is the comical introduction to draco malfoy in the robes shop and i think we know right away coming in because we've read the books who recognize the blonde kid with the drawling voice yeah. but harry doesn't he just sees you know another kid there and he's just fucking around like we, we get that it's draco malfoy and that this is like extra funny for us but it's just Harry having a serious goof. Yeah. And yeah, go nuts, Matt. Oh, I, I just think this is where the book won me over, honestly, on my first read through. Because it went from just like, yeah, okay, that, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, the, scientist Harry, he might figure out magic. Yeah, it's a fun idea. And then this is just the funniest shit ever. Like, like I, I, <laughs> I cannot exaggerate. I'm not, I'm not like exaggerating how funny this is, right? Am I right? It's hilarious. The, the like pretending to recognize i, I don't know i can't i'm not going to explain the joke but i i thought at, the, at that point i was like oh okay this is going to be really funny and then i was kind of i was in you know oh that where he's like oh my god is that you Draco yeah. Malfoy? yeah okay yeah that was yeah funny. i thought the thing as as you were talking about the thing that stuck out more for me because it was and i can't even really put my finger on what was so effective about it but the that really disturbing rape comment that Draco just sort of like drops um it was such a like a an abrupt change in tone and a total like you could never talk like that would never be in the the original um and there was just something about the like like the intentional departure of it both in like tone and like the kind of content that would have been in the original one and the way it just that it because Draco seems sort of charming like the wrong word but like more likable um, and definitely, and I think intentionally not hateable the way he was in the original books. And then like to just drop that one in, it sort of made it like really complicated, but it was also like, sh- just like shock factor of the way he said it. And it, like the whole thing was just sort of like, that was a, a big jump to make both in tone and content that for some reason, I think it just sort of like, it was a big, like 
jolt of, okay, this is not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's your real first indication that this isn't going to be a yeah. kid's book. Um, and that, that was, that was their second meeting, uh, at the, at the platform. And that, that's relevant because like in this one, all Harry knows that this is some kid. And then he sees this scary looking guy walk in. That's his dad. And that's all he yeah. knows. And then he finds out a bit more about Lucius later in the shopping trip. And then he's like, Oh, okay. Lucius is like the big bad of magical Britain, whatever. Um, and then when he meets up with Draco again at the train station and then they're talking and, and kind of having a somewhat normal conversation, then yeah, then he drops that rape threat and, then you're you're like oh shit okay yeah yeah, yeah I think course. for me that I, was like I wish he'd he'd seem so normal yeah yeah like when we start you start like the baseline in the beginning is that okay we know Harry is a very different Harry uh, from the originals but like I think at least for me this was the first one in my head that that sort of you know slapped you in the face telling you that like oh, the interpersonal interactions between the characters is going to be nothing alike or so or no not actually in some some ways very much the same. And then he's just going to decide that there's going to be some things he's going to, you know, entirely upend and, and change entirely. And this was one of them, especially because, because in the original Draco's like much more just sort of cartoonishly, but not very threateningly bad. Like he's a bad kid, but you're not really particularly afraid of Draco, but this one was more like, Oh fuck, this guy's a psycho. Yeah. Um, I, just to draw some fire away from you, Brian, so people can hate me some. <laughs> um, I, I had a, I had a very different take on on several on basically all of the draco stuff um this kind of on on this reread that i've kind of intermittently been doing um while while listening to you guys which is that so so compare and contrast uh draco's relationship with ron and his relation i'm sorry um harry's relationship with ron and his relationship with draco basically draco is a really cool smart kid who Harry immediately likes and respects and admires and wants to like and respect and admire him. And then Draco says he wants to rape somebody and Harry somehow finds it in his heart to forgive this kid or, or, or to, to see his way past it and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to um, turn this kid to the light side. Mm -hmm. And then he has an interaction with Ron and uh, Ron is dumb, like sports and isn't particularly cool. And uh, Harry can't seem to find it in his heart to give this kid the time of day. And it it makes perfect sense from human psychology that, like, of course you want to hang out with the person you think is cool. And, of course, you're going to mm-hmm. manage to overlook the faults of the person you think is cool. And if a person doesn't like anything you like and seems just like a terrible match for you, why would you be friends with them? I'm not blaming him for this. I'm just pointing out that his kind of internal narrative that the reason why he redeems Draco is for, for kind of these high-minded reasons. I don't know if I completely buy that on this read. I think it might have more to do with the fact that he thinks Draco is cool. Hmm, what do you think, point. Stephen? Am I being unfair to, to uh, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have quite the same ring to it as, as you're being unfair to Taylor. Um, I, I think it's a bit of both. Like, I, I can't remember, maybe I saw you make that point in Discord or something, but I, Everybody I yelled at me. kind of my head for a while. People yelled, well, uh, I missed that part. I mean, <laughs> I, for the most part, uh, and it's worth mentioning again, I'm moving more and more just to reading the Doof Discord rather than the, the Bayesian Conspiracy one, because I don't have it in me to juggle two of them. But the, it, so I guess this would be testable kind of in hypo- in thought experiment wise, like if Draco wasn't an asset would he still be working to redeem him? And when I put the question that way, I think the answer is probably yes. Like, 
he sees this kid as like, no, no, it's this. I Yeah. So when I phrase the question, like, do I think that Harry would work to redeem Draco, even if Draco was just some, you know, some mook? Um, I think he would. And that suggests that you're right. Like he's trying to redeem him because he's his friend and he wants to be or rather because he's cool and he wants him to be the kind of person he can be friends with. And it seems like he can do that by, you know, not through true friendship and kindness, but through planting the seeds of, of love and kindness as a sort of, you know, trick into him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, I actually agree with you that it, that it is essentially both. Like, he's not he's not lying when he says that he wants to redeem Draco for the sake of friendship and kindness and, and ponies. Um, it, it, it's just that his core motivation for wanting to do that in the first place has a lot to do with the fact that, oh, it's a kid who I actually like for the first time in my life. Yeah. Uh, I think there was also, as I'm remembering it now, there was an element of him, and I think it was from the Weasleys, of him being able to tell that he was supposed to not like Draco and being irritated at, at, at feeling like he was being, you know, put into a box. Mm-hmm. And so he was sort of intentionally reaching out to Draco as a, like, well, no, fuck you, I'll make friends with who I like. Good point. So... Yeah. I, it does I think, relieve I my I'll, cognitive I'll dissonance that. much, though, to hear you like point out a thing like, "Oh yeah, you're not supposed to like that behavior." I'm like, oh, "Okay, good. <laughs> my my internal <laughs> conflict is resolved." <laughs> I think you're. I think you're right, Brian. I'll jump on that sinking ship with you. I think that even <laughs> if, if if Draco wasn't a an asset to have like politically or whatever he says his highfalutin goals are, which are probably actually true goals, but you can have you can have, you can you can have a a base reason and then a great rationalization, which is also true. Yeah, um, exactly. I think that that's well the case. I think, yeah, I think <laughs> that if uh, if Draco was a nobody, Harry would still be working just as hard to to redeem him and become his friend. Yeah. So, and Harry right, kind of acknowledges he he acknowledges kind of the same thing, not about Draco, but right around the same time the um, the kind of that off camera bullshit that he and the Weasleys pull on Neville, like Harry acknowledges later, he's like, okay, yeah, that was bullshit. So, yeah, he, he rationalizes that. Well, it's kind of fun. That's that's what made the self-awareness chapters so much fun was that, like, who knows how long Harry would have come, would have taken to come to that realization himself. But he has uh, in just the like in a perfectly understood and in-universe way, a mirror to his his subconscious that the rest of us don't get. And it's a way to kind of fast track these sorts of realizations. Um, I should just point out that in before we move past chapter six, um, that that's where he gets his bag of holding and he's doing science on it right away. And he gets psychoanalyzed by McGonagall who thinks that he shows signs of childhood trauma. And he guesses correctly because he's trope savvy that the Dark Lord's alive and there's a prophesized showdown, um, which I just think is hilarious. I, I know TV tropes wasn't a thing in 1991, but if it was, you can bet Harry would be <laughs> probably an admin on their website and a frequent contributor. It was, it was a thing in 2010 though, so... Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, the, the, the author very much was aware of TV tropes. Um, and I, I will see if I notice any. I'm not a, a, I'm not fluent enough to like notice every time a trope name is dropped, but I, I notice tons. No, in fact, I, I notice a few, several. Yeah, the author drops trope names on purpose and drops references uh, not frequently, but throughout. Uh, the author is very self aware about what it means uh, to, to write a trope and to work work within sort of that kind of literary device. Um, you know, tropes aren't bad. It's just the tools of stories. But it's it's kind of fun to see, oh, okay, yeah, this is that. And you can, you can find them across different mediums or different shows or whatever. 
Um, yeah, so then uh, where was I? What was I saying about... We well, we did have to. Draco just now. Yeah, well, uh, Draco, and then we went to the the Neville thing. But now it's just made me think. Like then the the train ride comes after that, um, and that's the first time we see <laughs> Harry not be a dick. Um, <laughs> no, that, so that's when Harry. It was this really cool, like Harry both uh, kind of walking into his role as the boy who lived, and then deciding to use it for good. And it was a, a really cool way that. Um, I can't remember what was it. It was some some sort of Neville is being bullied kind of thing. Yeah, he was um, looking for his like, toad. Oh, that's and right. The prefects were dismissive. Yeah, he was and just he dismissive. was like, "Well, I'll go flex my celebrity at them and yeah. see if they're still dismissive." Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of the first of several times now that, uh, and you had pointed that out that where when Harry decides to sort of like throw down, it's on behalf of other people. Which it was, it was no, no, give him credit where it's due. You pointed that out to me. Oh, really? And I'm now I'm noticing mm-hmm. that on every read through or on every chapter that we go through, that um, this seems to be, so far, a pretty consistent thing, where yeah. when he when he goes to, you know, his, his anger mode, he's he's doing it in defense of others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first time we see it is when he's arguing with McGonagall about whether or not he was, you know, sexually her- abused as a kid. But even then, that's that's him defending his, his parents, right? Yeah. And, and the perceived threat that she's giving him by, like, oh, my God, you know, she's going to try and ruin my family. And he, he's... It's less about like let me grab this person and help them. It's more just like no, I will not let you hurt my family. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it was, it was a good like really very cool. sort of like visceral demonstration of like it's it's not that it's not okay to go flame on sometimes, but that there's like it's sort of like directed to a purpose, um, where like all that that kind of kinetic anger around it um, like feels unconflicted. Like okay, this is for good, and so it's okay to go and like knock some heads out. <laughs> Oh, you know what? This isn't in book one, but now I'm remembering the first one I could think of where he goes dark mode, where it's not to protect somebody. It's it's off camera, but he mentions it when he's studying his occlumency book, and like the the lesson or like the the lesson in the book was to try to pretend to be other people, and so then it turns then as a, on a whim he tries mm-hmm. it when he's in his dark side mode, and it turns out his dark side's really good at that. He's not helping anybody. He's not protecting anybody there. He's just sort of you know practicing yeah. there, but. Anyway, that, that takes us beyond the scope of this one. I want to point out, too, that Chapter 8 is our first non-Harry point of view chapter. Um, and mm-hmm. it's Hermione's head, which I think is just great. I think other than um, Draco, she's the only... Well, and maybe McGonagall. She's different, but maybe she's not leveled up. But Hermione is definitely leveled up. Yeah. She's not unbelievably different from where she is in canon, and neither is Draco, really. Um but I, I I love Hermione. I think she's she's just delightful. And like the and first cool thing like, in her head is like I want to make friends and help people. And, yeah, and he because he didn't yeah. level her up in a in a like because she was already pretty Mary Sue. Um, it's not that he you know made her super super smart or anything. He made her more humane was the way he changed her, and we get to see a lot more of the kind of inner workings of her head, which was more than we got in the originals anyway. But like he decided to make her more of a character. Um, not, not he didn't just turn the volume up on Hermione. He kind of like made her more than she was, which is pretty cool. I think you're right. I what do you think, Matt? I like that phrasing a lot, actually, um, because I I don't like to be too hard on canon because that's a good way to get lynched. Um, but <laughs> I I never thought that canon Hermione felt uh, like she had any inner life whatsoever. 
whereas this this character uh, is absolutely believable and, and human and very easy to inhabit and you you get where she's coming from she's admirable she has she has a lot of different admirable qualities actually and 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 she's complex and you know flawed in in minor ways that just make her more lovable i think and just overall yeah. i just i just love this hermione I, I i don't see her as being the same as canon hermione at all like like i yeah, I, no. I really they're they're in different boxes for me entirely in my brain yeah anyway. i like that a lot no, yeah I, like I agree. canon hermione is just entirely just that caricature like the smart girl that sits in the front row and always has her hand up and like and that's kind of all she was um, that was my feeling yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I liked about this chapter is that since it's from Hermione's point of view, if you happen to have been reading this book thinking that the author is an asshole who only knows how to write assholes, this is kind of <laughs> counter evidence to that. Where Brian. <laughs> no, no, not necessarily. I'm not going to name names, Brian. But yeah, um, yeah so like if, if you're reading this and it's like, oh man, you know, this is just, you know, a dick who write, who knows how to write dick characters. Hermione is so much the opposite of that, where it's like, oh, okay, this person is capable of writing writing dynamic characters and thus probably isn't just an asshole um so if, if anyone had any concerns about that this chapter does away with it which i think is fun um and then yeah we, we touched on the sorting a bit but there's not much in the first half of it that's just where the sorting starts and then harry's con- confused about how human half-breeds can exist um like hagrid's a half-giant flitwick's a half-goblin and it's not clear where giants or goblins come from like if they're different mm-hmm. evolutionary uh you know common ancestors that diverged and that you know they're still somehow close enough to debreed with or if they're different species or whatever um that's basically the i mean that's a really chapter nine is really short and then at the end of that chapter he accidentally makes the sorting hat self-aware when he drills it with questions and then in the back of his mind is wondering if it's self-aware mm-hmm. um and then chapter 10 is where we get that that really kind of like that forced introspection, which only really works in this kind of framework where like, I can't think of another way to, I'm sure there are plenty, um, you know, maybe a conversation with a trusted elder or something in a different book or like, uh, I don't know, a drug trip or something maybe. Right. But in this, like we, we get, uh, it can like a, an in-universe perfectly plausible scenario where the character is forced to interact with their subconscious. Uh. And, yeah, so, like, you know, the, the hat is telling him, like, look, I feel like you're Dark Lord material. And he's like, no, nah, what do you mean? Just because, like, once I thought it'd be fun to have a legion of minions? And he's like, that's, and the hat says, no, that's not what, that's not what, excuse me, that's not the first thought you had before mm-hmm. you substitute something, like, less damaging. The first thought you had was that you, if you could, you would line up all the blood purists and guillotine them. And, like, that is Dark Lord material right there. And so Harry is unable to rationalize with this, with the entity of the hat, because it sees his thoughts as they form. He can't create mm-hmm. clever arguments to try and convince it otherwise, because it's it's using his brain, right? I remember being I, sort I of like shocked by that. Like, yeah, well, yeah, it did work really well. I, and I, something I liked about it too is that it sort of like felt like he's having this whole little scene in what feels like like the hat is almost like a dark room that he's in, and you sort of get the the feeling though that like while hundreds of people are watching him do it. And there was something like really interesting about that vibe. Like he's alone in the room with the hat and in front of an audience. And it's just kind of an interesting uh, contrast. But I like the, um, I, re- I remember being like weirdly shocked at like, because when the hat says like, no, you want to line them all up and kill them. And I think it also like makes in there uh, another uh, acknowledgement of like how he just thinks he's going to rule the world. Um, that like being shocked around the like, oh, he's kind of not kidding. Like, 
there's like, yes, that's ridiculous, but also like that's a, a sincerely held thought and maybe not realistic, but a sincerely held thought. I'm like, Oh wow. He really means that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's great. It's, it's a cool way of kind of twisting the sorting hat concept into being mm-hmm. a bit of a sci-fi lens, which I think uh, maybe, maybe that's not exactly the right phrasing, but I do feel like it's sort of the approach that Yudkowsky's taking with a lot of these things is like taking something like the sorting hat or the time turner and being like, all right, let's take this more seriously as like a science fiction conceit rather than a mm-hmm. cutesy, almost roll doll esque piece of, of, of set dressing and and play with it and see how far we can go and i'm always quite tickled by the things that he comes up with yeah me too maybe this is a good time to talk about that because this is something that he does that the author does uh from the beginning and throughout the book which is kind of take magic and the world that jk rowling set up more seriously than she did and i love those books they were delightful but i read them when i was harry's age i think almost consistently throughout the entire series i read the first book when i was 11 and they're coming out every year year and a half since so i was about his age throughout the entire series that i was reading them and they get sufficiently like less for kids and more for young adults as they go through so it was like perfect for me um and i mean you know everyone like the low-hanging fruit of like why of like weaknesses of the canon like quidditch is played off like a quick joke by harry it's like who was the first seeker the king's idiot son <laughs> like um so but then things that never really get their potential like the time turner like the sorting hat like um i think somebody had a pouch like harry has uh that there definitely were trunks like that in the canon version like all right how can like if that stuff actually existed, what would I do with it? I think is yeah. what the author asks himself. And there's something like when you you were brought up the whole thing about like uh, half like Hagrid being a half giant and Harry being like, well, what the fuck is that about? Like, there's some points in there where you could see like Yudkowsky just kind of has to go like, okay, yeah, that's just fuck. like he just kind of throws his hands up in the air, but he's like at least like he points right at it and goes, okay, that's bullshit, and moving on. Um, <laughs> that's actually kind of a good tech. I mean, because because a lot of we can get like super hung up on the. You know, if if you're gonna start getting into them, then you can like get totally bogged down in it. So sometimes he just like kind of draws a line around it and just goes, "Yeah, okay, fuck it." Yeah, I I, I don't get the feeling that Yudkowsky's just like sitting there angrily, like God, I can't believe that she wasted the, <laughs> the potential of the Sorting Hat. Like like that's not the energy that's here. He's like Mm-mm. like I saw the first three Harry Potter books as basically being I, I use the Roll Doll reference a lot just because like it's a whimsical tone it's not meant to um, function as something that you can pick apart mm-hmm. and that's fine. And I like them for that. And then if, if anything, it becomes a problem when the Harry Potter universe ages up and then suddenly you're like, well, hold on a second. Now I'm supposed to apply a critical adult eye to this, but, yeah. but, but that's just confusing. Um, so you I don't think he's, I don't think he's being hard on the books. I think he's poking gentle fun, which is good. Yeah. In my opinion. No, I totally agree. I think, and like my, my framing of it from the author's shoes is more like if he was in Hogwarts, what things would he find boring? Which things would he find interesting? And there's no way he's going to let a time turner just be like, oh, you have a thing. Let's go to more classes. That's cool. <laughs> right. um, and like, even like the thing with the, the half giant and, oh, that reminds me. It was that same actually discussion with Hermione. There's a trope drop there of, of I think it's just technic- technically correct or like just, I forget the name of the trope, but it's 
when he's like, where do goblins even come from anyway? And Hermione's oh, just yeah. like, Lith- Lithuania. That's not an answer. Technically correct, but that's not not the spirit of what he was asking. Yeah, it's interesting um, now, that, uh, now that you say that, Matt, it, it made me realize that, so there's all of this looking down his nose that Harry does that it also seems like Yudkowsky is doing through Harry, but he doesn't ever seem to do that to the original material. Like, it seems like he very sincerely likes all like there's an act real affection there that and there there's all sorts of opportunities for even even in the way that like he talks shit about the rules of quidditch there's still something about like it's not it doesn't have that kind of um smarter than thou vibe to it like there's still like he sort of affectionately acknowledges the shortcomings rather than scoffing at them yeah i I see it as playful yeah yeah it is that even even the thing with Ron, honestly, that that's one thing people get hung up on is like, I I love Ron. How could you do this? I'm like, look, it's a joke. It's <laughs> like Ron does that. Ron cannot exist in this story. It would feel really weird if they if Yudkowsky tried to shoehorn him in. So yeah. it's just it's just a, it's a funny joke that obviously we're not going to have Ron in the story because it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Or you'd have to make him a completely different Ron, which yeah. would be weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I- I, I agree with you guys. I, I, I still just like the framing, and I'm gonna try and keep this in mind going forward because the like putting it this way didn't occur to me until I said it the first time, which was that like, this, it's less about like, all right, where did Rowling fall short, and how can I nitpick? It's more just like, okay, if I was there, what would I do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even like a like the broomstick flying class where he's like, wait, literal broomsticks? Like we're flying on line <laughs> segments? That's insane. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't. It still doesn't feel negative. It, like it put. It, yeah, exactly. It elicits a laugh, right? Um, I think. Yeah, it's it's. There's not. Uh, I'm not just beating a dead horse, but yeah, there's not in my in my reading either any like shitting on canon. It's more just like a a, a different lens and kind of a funny viewing of it. It's um, funny. I'm, I'm reading the uh, Tiffany Aching books from Terry Pratchett to my daughter right now. It's all about like witches. Um, and he talks quite a bit about how like the witches have to wear like really thick dresses and uh, pantaloons because riding around on a broom is both really uncomfortable and when you're riding up you know way up high in the sky it's also really damn cold. It's <laughs> kind of funny how they talk about like yeah it's not really very practical riding around on a broom. Yeah, I love how they're still stuck on brooms. Like their mm-hmm. their solution like is like all right wear wear like a cup and and crotch paddings mm-hmm. and a coat. Don't like build a better broom no. right <laughs> didn't i think in the movie didn't they put something that's sort of like they put like seats on the brooms i think in the movie because yeah, it just doesn't like saddles work. and yeah. stirrups because yeah, you can't just be sitting just there holding work. onto a yeah. stick i'm pretty sure uh Itkowski is a big terry pratchett fan if, if we're if we're talking about things with kind of a whimsical tone mm-hmm. um anyway uh, well, as long as we're anywaying, um, chapter 12 was impulse control. This is right where he, he gets out from being under the hat after convincing the hat that like, no, look, I'm going to choose Ravenclaw, even if I, even if you think it will like increase my chances of becoming a dark Lord, because we both agreed that it'll increase my chances of achieving my potential, which to Harry is super important. He doesn't quite know, even under the hat, he wasn't able to articulate why it was such a fear of his to not be able to reach his full potential, but he really cares about it. So... He's back at the table and he's d- deliberating about, you know, well, you know, this Dark Lord stuff is pretty scary. And he's coming up with like a list of like things to do, like on his anti-Dark Lord Harry program, like apologize to Neville, mm-hmm. um, you know, tell somebody about that whisper from the sorting hat. Um, there was also like, 
Oh, yeah. So this is where we get the, um, like, I think the first lines from Dumbledore, which he's, at this point, he's only as crazy as he seemed in canon. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's, we'll talk more about Dumbledore later, too. But um, I just liked the first words were happy, happy, boom, boom, swamp, swamp, <laughs> swamp, which I should Google that and see if anything but M.O.R. comes up. But that is, like, that, that makes me laugh every time. And not just because I hear it in Drake Walker's voice, who did the voice for him in the audiobook. Um, he does the he does a perfect Dumbledore, and it just and it, when he when Drake is reading it, he pauses and it's like happy, happy boom boom swamp, swamp, swamp. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's like it sounds like he's being all serious, and it just I don't know it it delivers a laugh for me every time. That's um, great. Yeah, yeah. I a few things that I read actually make me laugh. Like usually when I'm reading something and I find it funny, I I will either go like. <laughs> Or, or just nothing, and I just registered that it's funny in my brain. Mm-hmm. But I actually, f- I actually l- I remember laughing out loud at this book. Uh, uh, it, it's writing comedy is hard, folks, um, I, and this is impressive to me. Anyway, good stuff. I do a thing when I'm reading, and I read something funny, and then I, I realize that it was funny, and I didn't react. I make myself smile, <laughs> like just like, oh wait, I, I should acknowledge somehow that that was funny. Uh, so, like, if I can't bring myself to laugh belatedly three seconds later, I can, le- I can at least make myself smile about it. Um, <laughs> uh, chapter 13 was asking the wrong questions. That's uh, Harry's first day of school, and that's where the game, where Harry is the game master and he's just fucking with himself, begins. And I think that was my, think fir- someone... that was my first little mystery thing, was that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you, you kind of nailed it. Yeah, I think it did. Um, I think he thought it might have been him from like 30 years in the future and he had like you yeah, know, yeah, broken yeah. the time. Tr- yeah. But, you know, I, I think he's still got a point for that. Um, and I think somebody in Discord on the, uh, the I forget it was, it doesn't matter. It was one of the, there's two channels on the Doof Discord for it. Um, I forget which one it was, but they had said that that chapter was kind of annoying because it's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. This like this this whole thing kind of reads irritating. And it was like reading oh, this the first of the way, time. Because it's out of order, is that? Well, no, it's it's in order, but you don't know what's going on. And there's just uh, like this this stupid, like, okay, so no, another note flew out. And it's like, nope, you mm-hmm. lost a million points. You're down a trillion points. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? And then in the next chapter, you get the big payoff of like, because the, the whole the whole game just feels like he's being screwed with. Yeah. And like, it, it's like, why is this happening? And it then in the fourth, in the 14th chapter, you realize like, oh, it was a prank. And he was just being screwed with. This wasn't some actual thing. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's just messing with himself. And I think that kind of brings bring some of that home in a way that that lands for for me anyway i think it would be Um, like super stressful to if you're like going through this situation like okay now you know how it all played out and now you're trying to like be the guy that's like writing all the notes and doing all the things it would be like you'd be like oh shit wait no like really hard like you could do it but it would be super like i guess i'm just not that detail oriented but you know because you have the ability to get it all lined up just right but like oh that would be hard i couldn't handle it it probably would have been stressful, but also you know that you did it, so. I guess so. You have faith in yourself. Well, not not just faith. You, yeah, it's you, you, <laughs> you know you did it, so you don't even have to believe really hard. You just have to figure out what you did. Right. Um, oh yeah, but the things that do happen in that is that he rescues Neville from the older Slytherins, and hmm. um, he's you know staring him down, and they're like bending his finger back and gonna break it, and he has this badass line that I remember that was like. Um, he he's like starting to panic and in his inner monologue he says like no i 
he hasn't even broken your finger. He hasn't even broken my, my finger yet, and it is beneath me to so much as flinch until he does. And it's like, oh damn, kid's hardcore. Uh, then in chapter 14, he sees that from the outside, and he's like, oh, okay, I, I'm seeing it now. There's something wrong with Harry Potter. Um, I think that's how that chapter ends. That was a good line. Yeah. You like Bella. It's like, that's like the, the last sentence to the chapter, isn't it? I think it Man, is. yeah. yeah. You, you saying it all together, right, that, like, like just summarizing it in, in two sentences like that really brings it home for me how, like, what the book is doing with all of this, where, like, you're inside his head for one part of it, and you're like, yeah, Harry, you're a badass. This is awesome. So you stand up to those bullies and you stare them down and don't feel any fear. And then you, you see what that looks like from the outside and you're like, oh, that's really unusual. That's yeah. Like, what, like why, why are you like this? <laughs> um, but, but, but obviously the book is shoving that in your face. The book is literally has contrived a scene to mm-hmm. have Harry watch himself do this, to have this realization and therefore shove it in your face and force you to ask the same question. No, that's a good point. And it wasn't one I would have gotten close to making on my own. Well done. <laughs> well, you, you, but, but you're I like the one. A lot. But you just said it. <laughs> I, I I prompted it. I guess I didn't really. I don't, well, half credit. Maybe. Okay, sure. Um, there's uh, let's see. I had another comment about that, but it's not coming to me. Um, oh, this was it. Yeah, because you mentioned uh, about Taylor and Worm being like on your on your power read and i read it i read most of it the way you did Mm -hmm. um i think i got caught up before it ended so i got to take it slow as they're being released but like up through probably two-thirds of it i binged in a couple of weeks right and i remember you know late nights reading on my phone in bed just like needing to get to the next thing i remember specifically at least once being up at 2 30 in the morning on a on a work night and i'm like shit i gotta put this down yeah um, next one more chapter yeah exactly yeah it was the uh it was the school scene uh with dragon and uh-huh. defiant yeah that's where i was that's where it was up to 2 30 but um i don't think that's spoilery whatever no, no it's big um, enough so the but what would you what i i brought that up because you reminded me i listened to i think just arc four the episode that you guys did is kind of like a refresher um of what this kind of podcast looks like mm-hmm. and um you know, Scott will point out things that like, oh, this didn't quite work for me or, 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 oh no, this did. Maybe I would have done this a little differently or something. But when you were talking about what it's like being in Taylor's head the first time, like this book, well, it's up to us, I guess, to figure it out. What Worm does, and you realize definitely on a second read through, is that Taylor's an unreliable narrator for herself. Um, by the way, Brian, the protagonist of Worm is named Taylor. Um, <laughs> and so like, she, when you're when you're in her head, you're like, okay, yeah, of course, I'm following you. You know that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I get why you did that. But when you get time to reflect on it, which she never really gets time to catch her breath and reflect on, like there there is an element of the trope unreliable narrator where you're getting their version of it, but not the not the version of it. Yeah. Right. Well, you're getting. She's not lying to you because it's. It, it's a first-person story, but she's lying to herself, which is the same thing. Um, or she's or maybe a, a better way of phrasing it is she's not being honest with herself about why she's doing things often. Um, which I think I think there's a bit of that in this book too. I mean, uh, Harry is not supposed to be a paragon of rationality. He's supposed to be a journeyman rationalist. He's better at it than these other kids, for sure. Um, but. To, to I, I I don't think it's defensible to say like oh no Harry has perfect self insight and he does not make mistakes like that like we've already seen that's wrong um, 
um, in, in just the first, you know, even the first, you know, 10 or 11 or 12 chapters, we've seen that's wrong. Um, um, so yeah, so, we, we get we yeah. get that explicit when the sorting hat lays it out for him. Right. Cause he he justifies through you know some some flimsy utilitarian logic that no me teasing Neville by by freaking him out like that no that was that was the right thing to do good on me for doing that mm-hmm. and the hat's like no you knew it was wrong but you did it anyway because it was fun and you thought you could get away with it and he's like well fuck I just heard it from myself I can't really argue with yeah. that um, yeah yeah. So it, the the hat isn't isn't an unreliable narrator, but he's not wearing it all the time. So <laughs> yeah, um, good old there, If you're if you want to go more paranoid enough, then um, there's the possibility that the hat was just trying to end the conversation as quickly as possible. But <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Because um, it, it wanted to, to go back to the sweet too. bliss of oblivion. Yes. Oh my god. Right. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a uh, Mr. Meeseeks hat. <laughs> Existence is pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian, you need to watch Rick and Morty and get that joke. Oh, I um, think uh, that's like the little replicating blue guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I, I, that's like the only one I've seen. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, good. The episodes aren't, aren't really sequential. You can jump in whenever. But yeah, the Mystics one's hilarious. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where were we in order? Uh, I think chapter 15 um, is where Harry's like actually in classes and stuff. Like I think Monday was his first day, but he just, you don't really get him going to class. Um, maybe this is still, I don't know what day it was of the week, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that he's like, he sucks at class. He's, it says at some point that he's like near the bottom and Hermione is just crushing everybody. And so he's annoyed that neither his, like his scientific upbringing, his rationalist skills or his dark side are helping him at all at Hogwarts. Um, or at least in classes. Yeah, I remember this and feeling very kind of montagey the way, and it like it felt it felt very televisiony, and I quote like there was this very familiar like first day of school television montage vibe to the whole thing. It worked, but but like at a wizard school. Um, but there was something so almost like comfortingly familiar about the way it was kind of laid out. I like that. No, I can dig it. Um, that's also the one where. Uh, they learn about tra- transfiguration, and he gets into that book reading slash academic rivalry with Hermione Granger. And mm. it, what I like about that is, like, you know, they as they talked about on the train, like, you know, she's not his equal because she doesn't know all the science and rationality that he knows, but he acknowledges her as a worthy opponent, and in like the most fun and friendly way one can have one of those, which is like, all right, cool, well, let's do a book reading competition, <laughs> and it's it, it's clear that he respects her, and it's. This isn't like with with Draco where, you know, he can argue with himself that he's just doing it because it's politically useful or whatever. It's like, no, this is great. I want to try and keep up with her. It's um, I don't know. I like our dynamic a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. And then chapter 16 is the battle magic lesson where I guess we got the brief introduction to Professor Quirrell during his like opening speech during the uh, whatever opening dinner or whatever on the first yeah. night. Then he was kind of um, just more explicitly just like the guy that keeps having his little zombie phases like being taken. Yeah. Over his, him. Yeah. His zombie moments where he's like drooling and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then, um, he stands up and he's all articulate and he's like, I'm looking forward to teaching you my young apprentices and I will be great. And you will be great because I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And you know, we'll do battle magic and, uh, he's a very, very serious character. And then, um, in his, first battle magic lesson um they do the most dangerous student in the classroom from which the takeaway line is i'm not a psychopath i'm just very creative where 
Quirrell asks him for 10 unaccustomed uses of items in the classroom for combat. And Harry he- hears the question, but answers the question, how can I kill people with stuff in this room? And it, it freaks out his classmates and it kind of shows, it kind of shows his, uh, his approach to, uh, the like okay how am i i don't know it i'm not i'm not framing this well i got i lost some train of thought someone pick up here yeah i think it's just it's it's yet it's it's kind of another example of his um uh something is very wrong with harry potter moment where i which uh, it's several beats in at this point like first we had mcgonagall be like it's not normal for kids to react the way that you are reacting to this situation and then we had the sorting hat be like, "Hey, you got a little Hitler in you, kid," <laughs> and and then we had him see himself from the outside for the first time behaving this way. And then this is yet again, this is this is Quirrell being like, "Interesting, you appear to have gone just for for killing, just purely purely killing and, and murder." Um, not that that's like not what it's interesting because of course Quirrell is his own interesting uh, whole whole thing that we're gonna get into, I'm sure. Um, it, it, he's not criticizing Harry for going for the kill. Uh, he's, if anything, criticizing him for showing his true colors in front of people. I would say, and for his lack of creativity and his methods of, of approach, <laughs> and, um, and, and that they wouldn't actually like, work. He's very sort of like Harry, kind of backpedaling on. He's like, "Oh, but you asked me to." He's, he's sort of like trying to excuse it, like he's rattled by the accuracy of the description. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that, that's where it comes out. It's like you asked me for for you know creative uses of stuff in this room, not not realistic yeah. ones. How would you kill somebody with stuff in this room? Like, but, like, but 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 he's like, I didn't tell you to kill people. Yeah. I told you. I asked you to do unusual things. Um, yeah, and that that's a good point, Matt. That you made kind of laying out the examples, and this is the one where it's in front of everybody. Yeah. Uh, the, the other ones were in front of small groups or just by himself, and this one's in front of I don't know how many kids are all in the first year, like eighty or something. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's that chapter, um, in chapter 17, locating the hypothesis, that's where they get broomstick lessons and Harry save, tries to save Neville when he's falling, just like he does in, uh, the other version. Cause he's just a, a misfortune magnet. Um, and then he shuts down that pointless feud over Neville's remember all by flagrantly abusing his time turner. And this is also the chapter where he has this bizarre first encounter with Dumbledore um, which is a lot longer than that sentence gives it credit for. Um, <laughs> that's where he gets his father's rock and the Dumbledore chicken. kills oh, a chicken. Oh, the father's rock. I completely forgot about that. Is that one going to come back? I'll take that silence. It's hard to yes. say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, well, yes or no is indicative there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause Dumbledore is like, oh, it, no, it's very important. Well, why? Well, I can't think of a reason actually. And then when he's asking McGonagall about it, she's like, well, you know, not listening to the headmaster is almost never a good idea, but like that does sound weird. Um, it's it's hard to see the utility of carrying this gigantic thing around all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, <laughs> anyway, it's just like the well, I will, we'll we'll save that I guess for the talk about Dumbledore when we get yeah, there. No. So it's funny um, how how late this. I mean, we're we're just going through it linearly. I I would I would have bet that he had this conversation with Dumbledore before this point in the yeah, story. I you say that. I mean, he does get to his office in like the second day of classes or something, right? So yeah, fair. Uh, yeah, but but it is it, it. We have talked for a while, and yeah, he hasn't. That, that that does feel like a very early point, but I'm not sure how many many tens of thousands of words we are in at this point. So yeah. Um, 
And then chapter 18 is the Snape showdown where Harry goes full dark side and nopes the fuck out of Snape's class and then threatens Dumbledore and the balance of power in magical Britain just to rein Snape in for the sake of his classmates. Um, I've been surprised by the extent, I mean, I can get it, but the, um, that part, that particular interaction about like the authority, the abuse, the abusing authority figure, um, really rattles people. I mean, and I can get it. I mean, it, would, it rattled me a little bit too, but I've, I've been surprised at the intensity that like that one really gets at people. I think people carry a lot of trauma from school yeah. that, that they, well, they may be completely aware that they have that, or they may be less aware of it. But in either case, um, I think that manifests both in sort of being automatically on Harry's side when he's railing at these adults who, mm-hmm. who just kind of turn up their nose at him and, and, and don't take him seriously. And, and also specifically in this case where it's just a, a flagrantly overtly abusive teacher yeah. And, um, I mean, this is like, I, I have, I have stories. Uh, I know people who have much worse stories than I do about, about teachers who were uh, like, like pretty much as bad as Snape, like, like as, as bad, as bad as this yeah. fin- fictional character that's meant to be just over the top. So mm-hmm. I can buy people reacting super strongly to, um, to this situation. Yeah, I can totally about Yeah. I, I guess I was just more, but like the consistency, it must be such a, cause, and I, you know, I have the same stories in my childhood as well. Um, it must just be that it's the universal appeal of that story. So everybody's able to go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm mean, surprised that like the level of, um, uh, how often that topic comes back up when, when people are talking about it, that, and then, uh, Steven, you and I apparently just came off as sounding like these, like, authority apologists that want everybody to like stand in line or something. Cause we were like, well, yeah, they kind of have to do something. They can't just let that stand. Then. Yeah. Mm. I, I eventually just let that conversation die. <laughs> um, or at least I stopped, I stopped participating in it. Like I, I mean, I had teachers at least as abusive as Snape was being to Harry in this situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, I'm sure as a kid it bothered me, but I feel like it, I mean, I don't know. I, I think some of the people were, like maybe some of them are still in school and they're like, yes, this is traumatizing to me. Maybe if I was still, still in school, this would be more at home for me. Um, maybe yeah. like some of them have kids in school and they're like, if someone ever did that to my kid, I would, you know, go in there and be a hundred percent behind them. Um, and like when I complained about my abusive teachers to my parents, I think like they were just kind of realistic about it. And they're like, yeah, some people suck. You got to play the game and keep your head down. Like, we can't take yeah. you to a different school. We can't fire this teacher. Like, so just, I don't know, try to quit bugging them. Um, which is, people would say that's the wrong stance to take. And like, in an ideal world, yes. Yeah. It would be it's great a, if my yeah. parents could have pulled me up, up, up in a private situation. school where they could. Yeah, yeah totally. No winning this. Well, it's not like private schools. I'd like a cure-all for that either. But And I, I don't even like want to minimize, I don't even want to minimize the like the strength of people's reactions to it. I've, I've been surprised at how like the staying power of it, that people have been bringing it back up again. I think as, because there's like some people who go through like they're catching up, people that have come to the podcast a little later and so they'll bring it up again. But like somebody will like bring that up again and like a whole bunch of people will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So not, a, not to like, to disagree with the point at all, I'm just, just sort of surprised at sort of the universal appeal is the wrong word but like how that rings true with almost everybody okay. just to reassure oh, yeah. you we still get comments on two-year-old worm episodes so. <laughs> and, I, and i hadn't finished making my point before you um, guys can put your pitchforks down um i not you guys the the listeners who are currently sharpening them and grabbing mm-hmm, their torches mm-hmm. no i mean i i totally see where they're coming from i guess the point i was making was that like despite having gone through you know and i wouldn't even like 
I guess it's abuse. I just saw it as like a, a teacher being a dick, which like happens. Maybe I'm just too blasé about it. Um, but that said, it's not cool and they should have shut it down. I, I, I think we got some, some flack, like you said, Brian, for saying that Harry should have gotten some sort of punishment because like he did disrupt the class. He did misabuse his magical mm-hmm. artifact and, um, whatever i think i think you I and think i kind, he, of, kind of were saying a sort of the same thing that it wasn't sort of like, it wasn't that like oh he did something wrong it was more from like the very kind of political practicality of it. it's like you can't run it you can't let that be seen to have let stand and not at all at like then, I'm not condoning even that but just like oh that sucks that, that the reality is, is that you have to not let that stand but then we're reinforcing the abusive system burn it all down yeah, exactly. um yeah no I, i'm not trying to be a dick uh, I think the I had a, I had a more elegant way to wrap this up, and I can't remember what it was. Um, I guess it is not coming to me. Yep, the more I grasp for it, the further it gets away. So we'll just well, push if you, past if you it. got close to saying it, I'd interrupt you. Again, yeah, so. and you'll you'll notice oh, I avoided uh, really saying anything of of substance, so I can't actually be accused of even having a stance on this issue. Um, <laughs> and he you can't by not the, sufficiently standing up to us, man. Court reporter will read back the record. Yeah, just assume, <laughs> listeners, no assume that I agree with whatever it is you're thinking right now, and, <laughs> Smart. and then we move on. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, uh, yeah, I'll just move past it, whatever. <laughs> I've said everything I've had to say about the whole thing. I, yeah, Snape's a dick. This whole th- he was being an asshole, and the whole thing blew out of proportion. But the important part for me is that, you know, Harry spends hours going around collecting testimonies from his classmates, and he's got a newspaper campaign ready to rock and roll against Snape. And then when it turns out that he's at there at Dumbledore's behest, he's like, oh, okay, well, then I'm going to make you the target of my newspaper campaign. And I don't care if it helps your political enemies. Like, fuck this. This is this is a nightmare. And we are all behind Harry in that moment. Whether or not we feel like, uh, you know, iris- that's what I was going to say, irrespective of all the rest of it, we're all super behind Harry. Whether because we're, we're coming yeah. from a place of real trauma or real empathy, like from a similar situation or hearing about them, or just because it's like, yeah, this guy sucked, and Harry's not taking that shit. We all yeah. have that 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 kind of like equality of power fantasy, right? Um, yeah, nobody was like, oh yeah, it's fine that Snape did that. That was no big deal. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it, it's interesting. Like Snape was like that throughout the entire canon books, and I don't know if how these people felt about his portrayal in that. Like Snape's the evil potions master; he's a dick. You know, I think in my notes I put the words "Snape's gonna Snape." Um, I think in this, it, Snape is more um, menace. Like he's again, I keep using the word cartoonishly, but he's he's sort of shallowly threatening in the first ones. He's just kind of like you know a stereotypical bad guy kind of vibe to him. Uh, in this one, he's like a lot more threatening um, and sort of more. There's like more malice. Like he's more of an evil instead of like he's not bad guy. He's like a scary guy. Um, and then also like also more complicated, I think, even though we do get takes several books in before we like see any depth at all to, to Snape. But in this one, he's kind of more already immediately there, um, both in a like he's more threatening and especially with like the assassin stuff that comes up later. Like, oh, there is more going on with Snape than we're aware of. So he's much more um, deep character. Deep is kind of the wrong word. There's a lot more going on with Snape with this Snape than with the original Snape. Yeah, yeah I totally. I totally agree. In the in the original, he's just the evil potions master, yeah. and like Dumbledore kind of like flippantly says, "Well, we need an evil potions yeah. master." Like, a, like he's totally acknowledging the trope. One, um, one kind of funny thing is like I sort of doubt. I might be wrong about this. Sue me if I'm wrong. Okay, 
I sort of doubt that Rowling knew that Snape was a triple agent or, or whatever that, yeah. from yeah. from the first book. Like I think in the first book, Snape was literally just. I've got to have a red herring so that it's a surprise when it turns out that Quirrell has a Voldemort in the back mm-hmm. of his head. So we're going to make Snape really obviously evil and then have it be not actually him. And then later she decided that he was going to be Lily's uh, whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, I always got the stuff. feeling that was something that she made up like four or five books in. Yeah. And so this is then there's that famous story that she's told that, that like nobody, she told Alan Rickman before it was even written that that's what it was. And she like told him in secret. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of more an indication to me that she didn't really decide that that was what had happened until a few books in. Yeah, yeah. by the time they were filming the first book or the first movie, there were several books in, and this she probably already had that built in. But certainly in the first book, I, I'm completely with you guys. I don't think that there was supposed to be any of that at all whatsoever going on. So yeah, I think, yeah, Matt, you're right. I think Red Herring is exactly what his character is supposed to be. So, But in this and, book, sorry. Um, yeah, no. In, in this book, he's obviously the fully formed canon Snape where he has the secret, you know, the secret relationship with Lily and the secret relationship with Dumbledore. And, 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 and we know all this and Yudkowsky knows that we know all this. And so automatically it's a very different whole thing. Yeah. I uh, that's like, yeah, this is the other one I was thinking about when I, when I talked about that, like there are these things that we already know. So we just like quickly roll through them so we can go on to more stuff. Mm-hmm. Could, like mm-hmm. see like, okay, what is he, what else is he going to do with this character? that big reveal is gone yeah yeah totally agree um so then after that harry has his next battle magic lesson and this is the one where he does the whole learn to lose via getting bullied situation and uh i liked um (laughs) scotty doesn't know which is a joke from ward their username on discord i think it's just hilarious um they pointed out that like the the importance of winning shouldn't be inflated beyond the actual stakes of the situation just because you can't bear to let your opponent experience victory. That's all Quirrell's trying to teach him. Like, it's about losing a dominance contest against people who are actually dominant over him when there aren't stakes. Um, and, like, the example I can think of is, like, us with our bosses, even when we're right and they're wrong. Like, you, at some point, you're like, do I want to lose my job or do I want to just do what they say, even though they're an idiot? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I guess I'll just do what they say. Um, at, at this point... Harry would say, no, fuck that. I will find some way to do what I know is right. And I will, you know, blackmail my boss. I'll burn the building down. I'll, you know, whatever it takes. Um, I'll threaten nuclear war if it means I don't have to implement the API this way because I'm positive that's the wrong way to do it. Um, Harry couldn't hold down a job the way he is. Quirrell is trying to teach him how to, like, handle working with people when you're not the top dog. The veteran move Um, is to let them think you're doing it the way they told you to do it. But then go ahead yeah. and do it the right way. Ask for forgiveness, Cause, not cause for then permission. Everybody, uh, no, no, that's that's your like second place finish. The best one is that they just never know if <laughs> you did it the right way. No forgiveness but, uh, required. I think the, <laughs> the the other best way to do it is to do it the way they said to. But then in the in your downtime, do it the right way. And then when the first way breaks, I'm like, oh yeah, here's the correct way. And then roll that out the next day rather yeah. than have to spend the next two months fixing it. Um, Anyway, that's that one. Yeah, it's, and then it's, I mean, it's just interesting because the reason why none of us stood up to our our abusive teacher was exactly what Quirrell is saying right here. Like, like they're above you in the dominance hierarchy. You're not going to win this. Just, just lose. And and that's kind of what every single person that I know did. And <laughs> um, can't necessarily say that they're glad they did that. Like that's why we read liter. That's that's why we read escapist fiction where 
the the mm-hmm. characters stand up to authority and and burn and burn down the system because we all kind of resent that we had to knuckle under like yeah. that. And I think there's uh, it was kind of on purpose part of this that for us to think as this is unfolding with Harry that the only reason Harry is able to do this is that he's Harry Potter. <clears throat> like the mm-hmm. this does this you can't play it this way if you are not the boy who lived like normal and I think we're supposed to think that like normal yeah. people never have this option and sort of like to make you even more feel like the sort of powerless unfairness of that situation. You're right. Yeah, that's a good point. That and maybe that's some of the like the asymmetry here is that, you know, if it was Neville Longbottom being bullied the way that Harry was, you know, Harry was also singled out in Snape's class, but um it's like Harry can escalate more and more because he has actual power. And maybe that's why he never had to learn the well his whole childhood was weird too being you know tutored by oxford uh level mm-hmm. tutors rather than going to school with children but um certainly since he got here he's he's already had like oh i'm already a celebrity with lots of political power like i don't have to knuckle under so when he you know if if ron weasley wanted to start a newspaper campaign against snape nobody would read it nobody would care but if the boy who lived wants to do it well now i've got the strength to mm-hmm. you know actually carry this carry through with my threats um, but where Quirrell's teaching him is like you don't have to do that every fucking time. You can <laughs> you can you can let things deescalate it you know without if it's not going to cost you anything and that that's that's the goal here. So um, and then after that, that's where Harry and Quirrell have their chat about how cool science is, except for Quirrell hates it because nuclear weapons are dangerous and those cool <laughs> muggles are going to kill everybody. And they agree that they like the space program, so Quirrell takes him to space. And they get to share a cool moment, which is awesome. And uh, then that's the end of the, the at the end of that chapter. Dumbledore kicks the doors down, and that was a cool scene. I, yeah, I think you you painted it in a way that I hadn't thought of it before. That like up to this point, we haven't seen like the power and might of Dumbledore. Yeah, and it says it says that he blasted the doors off the hinges, and they went flying across. Or they went skidding across the floor. We have to assume that they're pretty sturdy doors because they've been standing for almost a thousand years. And he just, you know, explodes his way into the room like a badass. And uh, yeah, it was a cool moment for Dumbledore. It didn't, yeah. that didn't land for me until he pointed it out. Um, but then they decide that Harry needs to learn occlumency because his his brain's too fucking weird for people to be looking in there. And <laughs> <laughs> to, to put it shortly, so um, and then uh, and then chapter one. This is, I think, the canonical conclusion to book one of uh the story so far which is harry goes on his date with hermione for losing his book reading contest and it's not really played for like a a romance thing it's more just like a kind of like let's make harry lose sort of thing because it's that that part's from hermione's perspective and then harry's recounting it later um and then he begins the bayesian conspiracy with draco and starts to seduce him with science and uh then i liked the little letter that he wrote home to his parents which, you know, we've talked about this whole time has been his whole first week, and he summarizes it very simply, which is, Dear Mom and Dad, Hogwarts is lots of fun. I learned how to violate the second law of thermodynamics in charms class, and I met a girl named Hermione Granger who reads faster than I do. I'd better (laughs) leave it at that. Your loving son. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's a little uncharitable to Hermione to say that she just reads faster than he does. I actually kind of like that. that To me, I, I read that as like, like that is a, a huge compliment from Harry. Like, like that, it totally makes sense that that's the salient feature of Hermione Granger is that she reads faster than Harry, and that his parents and would get reading that. comprehension. Yeah, and his parents would be like, "Oh wow, really?" Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. 
yeah. I mean, she she beat him in the contest, and, and and the fact that he includes it means that while he feels, you know, b- bad about losing, he uh, I don't know. I, I take it as like he he can't help but kind of enjoy the fact that he's found someone who can be his rival, because he's never really found a kid who can do that before. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm surprised in in all of his avenues of cheating to win that contest using the time turner and stuff. <laughs> Seriously, he still he still slept. I'm wondering, like, is there not a wizard equivalent of coffee or like? monster energy drinks like there there's one that that sends an imp, uh, 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 spit take impulse back through time there's not one that like can help you stay up all night um i don't know i mean there probably is but i'm just surprised that he didn't you know go shot or i don't know find a way to to get his hands on some of that so he can get an extra eight hours a day um well, i guess an extra 14 wait how many hours can he back six yeah six he, he, he could have upped it to 14 hours a day if he didn't have to sleep so See, Speedus amphetaminus. I feel like he was willing to cheat within the boundaries of stuff that he was already doing and thus could just not think about the fact that he was cheating, but he wasn't going to go out of his way to cheat. That's a good point. Yeah, if he had, if he had sent off an owl to go get him uh, you know, a, a monster energy drink that's actually a monster energy drink, <laughs> nice. um, th- that would have been legit cheating. So That's, All right. that's good. Well, after that, I, I think um, I liked your idea, Matt, of, of, you know, we've touched a base on, I think we probably talked, well, we can go through the list and see who we want to talk about more or less. But, um, you know, we, we were introduced to, you know, several main characters in the bulk of the first book here, um, and some who won't be main characters who didn't even make our little bullet point, like poor old Ron. Um, poor Ron. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, we can take this in whatever order, however you guys want. I'll, I'll let someone else drive. Let's talk some more about Coral. I, you know, I think he's like the kind of the most impressive departure in characters. But and I, as we were again talking through the infamous S and M scene, I really, <laughs> I really mostly just enjoy like how much that gets a rise out of people. Uh, uh, but more people have been talking about it at like the and it's as it's been developing more um, that that it's this like sinister brainwashing thing going on, which totally makes sense for like the, the weird vibe for the whole thing. Uh, but let me again restate that I don't think there's anything actual sexual going on. I think this just reveals that this is Yudkowsky's thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of like, especially like he's working really well as like go back and look at the stuff he did that the really weirdly manipulative sinister like it's like the anger violence kind of stuff and and whiplashing back to niceness that it's this super creepy um brainwashy style i can't remember, there was somebody on the discord that had that had phrased it that way that it was like indoctrination brainwashing kind of techniques um so he's the other do- thing go ahead i'm sorry go ahead well just that, like he's doing a really good job coral is just really freaky threatening scary um he's doing really and then like i said like making me forget that oh yeah he's voldemort which I'm like still part of my brain is like, well, maybe he's not like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean the, what I like about Quirrell a lot is that he's very compelling. Like when you're, when he's up there lecturing and stuff, he's, he's interesting. And like when Harry like wants to clap about how cool his lectures are, um, like we kind of wanted, we kind of want to as well. Like Quirrell's up there saying, I'll reluctantly teach you enough trivia to pass your stupid tests written by those, you know, those fat R protected bureaucrats, but I'm actually going to teach you to defend yourselves. Um, like that's awesome. And he's, he's not just, uh, like, I mean, yes, he, there seems to be this, this awesome, fun 
scary brainwashing thing with Harry, but he's also like super competent. Yeah. Um, he's, he's clearly powerful as hell. He's smart. He, and what more than just being smart, it's like, I mean, Dumbledore knows more than Harry than, you know, about magic and Hermione knows more about all of his textbooks than he does. Cause she's memorized all of them. Um, but Quirrell is smart. Like Harry is smart. Like when, you know, there, there's the whole revelation that Harry has when, Quirrell explains the difference between the representativeness heuristic and Bayes' theorem with him, or the Bayesian uh, definition of evidence. And he's like, I just had a wizard explain that to me. Mm. Um, Mm. Quirrell is, like, Quirrell's cool. I think think that's my my biggest thing with him. Like, I love love the character. He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't want uh, want Brian to read too much into this comparison, but it, it reminds me of, like, how Hannibal Lecter is cool, where nobody wants to be Hannibal Lecter, but he's still <laughs> a character who you can't take your eyes off him. You think about him after you leave the movie. Um, it, it's just it, it enigmatic and compelling, and 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 frightening and clever and all, all of these things that all, they almost turn on your like primate defense reflexes when you see them in a human rather than a yeah. predatory animal. <laughs> Um, and it's a really cool way to do a character. I, and I, I think Quirrell is awesome in the connotation of I am in awe of how scary he is. Yeah. So. And appealing to like both like yeah. scary, threatening, but then also like you're partly like attracted to that, like, you know, hyper competence. Especially I'm remembering that scene in Diagon Alley where he's just like levitating the newspaper in front of him to read it for like no other reason than he just feels like it and he's kind of in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, there's just, there's something like also sort of like attracting to like ooh, you kind of want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there's one thing about that yeah. chapter that I wanted to mention. Um, it's not from this block of chapters, but as far as I know, I'm the first person to notice it, or at least I I don't know that. Never mind, I'm going to retract that because that sounds braggy. The point is, he uh, it, within that chapter, uh, Harry says, "I can't imagine you ever harming someone you didn't intend to harm." And then before the end of the chapter, he violently rips the newspaper out of Harry's hands with telekinesis and gives Harry a paper cut, um, which is... Uh-huh. I think you still you still get points for independently coming across that. Because um, I hadn't seen that before either, and that's a really good point. Like, he maybe... I'm not sure what to read into that exactly, other than, like, he's, you know, not maybe as perfect as Harry thinks he is. Um, at least that much, right? Like, like at least Harry has been... Has, is now in the the cult of personality of Quirrell by that point where he, he just almost believes him to be impossibly perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he sees Quirrell like, you know, a grown up him where it's like, man, I wish I was this cool. Mm-hmm. I want to be a badass like that. Um, there's this, uh, Oh, I was going to mention about Hannibal Lecter. There's two things. One, I think Hannibal in the first movie had like 11 minutes of screen time mm-hmm. out of like the two hour and change movie, mm-hmm. but it's still like, a, the name of the movie, and B, the character everyone remembers. Um, and then speaking of, of relations to Hannibal, when he goes out in that scene when they're after the newspaper thing, they go out to lunch, he gets uh, fava beans. Or no, wait, it wasn't It wasn't that. It was the Chianti. bottle of Chianti, oh, Chianti at lunch, yeah. yeah. And uh, which is famously, I think that's even a, a trope name itself, a uh, glass of Chianti. Which, um, yeah. or, am I saying that right? Chianti? Chianti, Chianti I, think, yeah. I think it's Chianti, yeah. Although I think Anthony wine. Hopkins says Chianti in the movie for some reason, but I think he's, he's making fun of, um, um, whatever that's, that's a tangent. Um, and that makes sense that he'd have it in that scene because of what he does at the end of that scene. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, cool. I think I had, that's all I wanted to say on Quirrell. 
uh, other than like I said, I, I love that he's he's a compelling and interesting character, and that's something that's everyone on the list made here. Like they're they're all. Uh, I mean, it it sounds like we're just gonna keep shitting on canon, but we're not. You know, for a while they were just kids books, but like these characters are all fun and interesting, and I could read a whole book about all of them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm and, wondering now that we're talking about it, like what. So besides Ron, who has been left out? Like now I'm thinking like Hagrid has been left, not necessarily left, but who's like the emphasis has been much turned down on them. Is um, is there any, so Ron and Hagrid are the first two that come to mind. Who else is yeah. Dumbledore is actually less. So, I mean, he's still significant, but not as he's not as central as he was. I can't think of. I'm any. trying to think of any. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I, I, I wouldn't even remember Hagrid until you mentioned it. But like, because yeah. it's hard not to remember. It's hard for me to draw to mind characters that aren't in the book a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Hagrid is kind of sidelined. Like, there's no friendship, you know, where he goes and hangs out with him yeah. or something like that in this whatsoever. Neville yeah. is um, more important than not not than he was in the whole story. But by this point in the story, or this, we're not at any point anymore. But at, within the first, Neville is not this important until like you know four or five books in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to mention, like, it's not um, Harry. Harry in, in the original books is textually a bit of a dickhead. Like, like he he is exactly the way the the, the Gryffindors are stereotyped as being in HPMOR, where he's like certain of himself to a fault, um, ba- a bit of a bully um, t- toward people who he thinks deserve it, whether or not they actually do. Um, yes, extremely brave, but also a lot of like anger and, and like this isn't some galaxy brain reading like Her- Harry in Canon is an extremely flawed character and I think this is I think that was all intended by by Rowling. Um, I guess I just wanted to point that out because people don't necessarily notice that um, because it's just protagonist goggles like like we've talked yeah. about with both Taylor and Harry in this book where you read the book quickly you see the character the way they see themselves, which is like, well, obviously I'm, I'm me, so I'm right. Um, but when you step back from it, you realize that, that they're not perfect and the author didn't intend them to be perfect either. Yeah, there's this nice moment in, man, it might have been the fourth or fifth book where, uh, in fact, I think it was the fifth when Dumbledore explains like the whole prophecy and all this and that to Harry um, and how it could have been Neville. Like, everything in the prophecy that applied to Harry also applied to Neville. And mm. he's, it's at the end of that book where Harry realizes, like, man, I've been this kid's friend for, like, five years. I never asked about his parents or, like, why he lives with his grandmother. Um, and that, that's, yeah, that's a nice moment of, like, showing character uh, flaws, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. after, you, you'd think after getting to know somebody for a few years, you might ask, like, you know, maybe not, like, gruffly, like, hey, so what's up with your parents? But... Uh, like he never cared to get to know him well enough to learn that about him. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the protagonist goggles of like my my lens for Canon Harry is definitely very rose tinted. Yeah, um, I mean, even in the first book, he's he's pretty cruel to Hermione before he eventually comes around to her, right? Like, it's it's just it, it, I'm not criticizing him; I'm just pointing out that that authors do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> something that just keeps coming up over and over again in my life is. It's very easy to miss this stuff when you read a book the first time, but it's it's usually there in some capacity. No, that's that's a really good point. I like it. Um, and yeah, we were like speaking of Neville. I, I like in this book. I mean, he's he hasn't had that much screen time yet, but I think he already has a lot more character development than uh, certainly, like we said, that he's had at this point in the original. But like 
I mean, he's the whole scene with with uh, with Lasoth Lestrange and and Neville wanting agreeing to like you know help Harry help Lasoth is like awesome. It speaks volumes about who he is. He's the kind of person who is like, yeah, I know his mom tortured my parents into insanity, and that that's why they you know live in a hospital and can't talk to me anymore. But that kid didn't do anything. Sure, I'll help you protect him from bullies. Where mm-hmm. it would be super easy for him to be like, no, fuck that guy. His mom, his mom basically killed my parents. Yeah. Um, Neville, Neville feels like another one of those characters that, like Snape, that Rowling, you know, after the fact decided, okay, let's turn that in, turn that character into somebody interesting. Like, gave him more life than she probably originally thought to do. And so now, the, so this Neville that we see is kind of coming in already fully formed. Like we already know, especially in like the first couple of books, he would, he was just sort of like the mousy little nothing. Um, but now we kind of know everything that he would turn into. So he's already more significant than he was. Yeah. yeah. I think right. There was that moment of, of like him having a backbone when, um, I can't remember exactly what, Oh, it was when, uh, Ron and Hermione and Harry were sneaking out to go to the forbidden third floor corridor at the end of the first book. And he tries to stop him. And then Hermione petrifies him and leaves him face down on the ground where oh, yeah. he luckily didn't die. Um, you know, you'd think having your face and nose squished against the floor and you can't move. <laughs> For hours. You know, if he had, yeah, exactly. If he had struggled to breathe there, she could have killed him. Um, and Dumbledore rightly recognizes that as a, a brave thing to do. Like, yeah, all right, sure. Would I have done it that was it? Was it the... Um, was it the wise move to do? Maybe not, because your, your friends that you're trying to stop were off doing the right thing. But... It was the it was the brave thing to do because you were standing up for what you thought was right and you stood up to your friends like so he has shown a little backbone there too mm-hmm. so I'm glad that we're getting some Neville in this um, he's a lot of fun I I think I've raved about Hermione enough I I think she's just fantastic I I think Brian you've expressed some trepidation that she's going to be like oh I want a romance um, do you have any I well I, I mean that just that sort of character. That, that hasn't come back yet. I think that I can just like read between the lines of what you guys say that I don't have to worry about that. Um, but I mean that's just sort of been like put on a show. We haven't really had a lot more with Hermione since then. Um, so I guess I'm not too. I mean I would be super disappointed, but it doesn't seem like his the way he like writes her and the way he writes the interactions between Harry and her seem like that's like he's got a lot of respect for that character. So. I mean, yeah, I would. I don't. I'm not too worried that he'll do it anymore. But right on. Yeah, I yeah. think his respect for Hermione is contagious, and it definitely worked for me. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't know. I the, the whole thing. You know, like I said, her first interaction on the train. She's just sitting there thinking, like, man, I wish it was easy to make friends. If only someone would be loudly declare near me, I need help with my homework. Then I could go over and help mm-hmm. him, and then I could be friends. Um, it's, I, I don't know. Con- contrasting that with like the Draco point of view chapters where. Everything is kind of like sinister and like manipulative. And how am I being? How am I being manipulated? How can I manipulate the person I'm talking to? Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, that's that's awesome and compelling in its own way. Uh, you know, Draco is I think wonderfully written. Um, I'm not saying that Hermione's better written than he is. I just think that like her, she's just I don't know, pure. Is that too? Is I think that, I mean I, I wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe I just I get a different connotation from that word than you might mean. But like she's got. Pure sounds a little more superficial than he seems like he's given her more, more depth than the original Hermione did. Yeah, and, I said pure with a question yeah. mark. I didn't think it was the yeah. right word. But that depth, like that depth, is a, like a like a wholesome's a shitty word for it too. But like, there's something like you know humane um, about the depth that he gave her. Yeah, I mean, she has that quality, and I think Draco and Harry both don't particularly have it, at least not in that way. 
Um, so it's a good uh, balancing force in in this story, which I think I think without her, like think about what this story would be like without her. Like like it, it would be losing this massive pull of uh, goodness, for lack of a. I think that's a pretty good word actually. I think I think that may be yeah. what he's going for, because um, Draco and, and Harry are both these cold, calculating people. Um, where it, it, like Harry Harry likes the idea of of goodness. But he kind of approaches it with such a weird alien mindset that it's almost unrecognizable to <laughs> to most people. Um, yeah, yeah, Hermione's and, and great. Uh, Hermi- yeah, and the way and it's not a an overthought kind of goodness. It's just a you know sort of a like a mm-hmm. gut level you know just a fundamental like just you know don't be a dick kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harry, Harry's approach to friendship is not. I like how Dumbledore and the Weasleys put it, like redeemed through friendship and kindness by through, by showing them true friendship and kindness. It's like no, I'll manipulate the fuck out of them. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a different, very different style yeah. of being friends with Harry than it'd be. You know, when you're when Hermione's your friend, you can bet it's genuine, and that you know, um, genuine maybe is another good word for it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, t- capital G good I think works too. Um, Speaking of uh, manipulating the shit out of people, I I think I think what he's doing with Draco is is one of my favorite things in the story really where um it's just exactly how you imagine like a smart kid raised in the kkk would think where like everything about their upbringing has led them to believe that of course they're right about this and and of course this is how you should treat people but like fundamentally they're still a person like you you can you can relate to being in that position and you can empathize even with their struggles, um, even though their struggles are like objective. Uh, objectively, you you want them to lose their struggle, if you know what I mean. Um, you still empathize with the pain they're going through, and I think that's really a good. Uh, I don't know, it's just really fun to me. Yeah, and it was it was humanizing a lot when he was having his kind of deconversion through experimental procedure, where like when he is panicking because he's like, wait you know blood purism is false there's partly the fact that he's like wait i've been told this is true of course they're of course mud bloods are terrible but the 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 thrust of his panic there is like what about my dad Mm -hmm. what about what am i gonna do when i grow up what what about my connections with you know the people close to me um it's all very human stuff i like that a lot Um, exactly yeah uh brian draco thoughts or did did we already say um no i think yeah, I actually, I think, I mean, he's, I like him a lot more, but I think that's because the, like the bar for old Draco is so low. <laughs> um, I think so. I, so I do like him. It's just, uh, the, the other, the departures he's made with the other characters have been a lot more impressive. I just, cause Quirrell and Hermione, the, those two standing out or actually even Snape. Um, so he's done a lot with a lot of them, but I think, um, and I don't want to say like bad or anything, but what he's done with Quirrell and Hermione and Snape have been like so much more, um, that I think Draco's just kind of in fourth on that. That's Still a good point. Him. Yeah. No, I like that. I kind of want to leave Dumbledore for last, so we can touch on Snape because we already talked about him a bit. Um, I guess, at, at least in book one, I think I've said basically everything I have to say about him. Um, we, we don't really get a lot of depth from him other than like that he's more uh, more scary and less than just like a, you know, a mean character. Yeah. Um, and he's not he's, he's not as much of a departure from the original Snape. He's just kind of more so. Yeah, I, I liked how you put like with Hermione, she's not just more Hermione. She's yeah. like a new character. Snape seems like just more Snape. Yeah. 
Or he's just sort of like yeah. fast forwarded Snape, like he's the Snape from the end of the books. But also better thought out, I think. Like, yeah. like I, I think I think Yudkowsky has chewed him up and spat him out in a in a more logically coherent form. Um, yeah. And I, like that big, to me, it felt like a very big sort of like drop all of us all at once. That like, oh, there's something. There is way more to Snape than we get. Um, with that like sudden realization that that Harry had, like that was really well done, and like that's still like is from what I've now read so far, I don't know at all what we're, what we're really talking about with that. Um, but I so I think that was done really well in terms of like resetting our expectations for what Snape's going to be. Yeah, I like that too. Um, how about Professor McGonagall and what we've what has been done with her in this story? I kind of like. It's funny, I, I'm not necessarily so much like the character herself because she she's a slightly more. But that's the thing. Like the original McGonagall was never like cold. It was always. I mean, the same kind of thing. Where like likably stiff. Um, but I think like this, the relationship between um, Harry and McGonagall is is like totally different. Um, it's really charming. It's really like charming. Kind of the too shallow words. It's just really sort of like appealing and warm, and um, especially because there's like he's so much like off in his head and being, you know, feeling really superior and kind of, you know, his dukes up so much of the time. Like these are these, these little like breaks that he takes to sort of like, these are the moments where he um, acts like an 11 year old with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're, they're a nice little sort of like deep pressure, like little moments of like venting the pressure out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I guess I'd say I agree that she's basically the same character as can. And the, the only real difference is that we see inside her head and thus she's humanized in a way that she wasn't in canon. Um, and it's just like, Oh, like this is what it's like to be professor McGonagall. She, Mm. that, you know, she, she obviously loves the students, but she obviously sees herself as someone who has to be this, this rather strict disciplinarian because what they're doing is dangerous and she is in charge of these kids. And, uh, it it just, I mean, it's just, it's well executed. It's not a, it's not like wild and crazy and deserving of its own, like it's not a it's not a it's not a weird methods of rationality take on McGonagall it's more like oh yeah this is how she would be okay good moving on yeah when she talks about her first lesson about how dangerous transfiguration is and how she has a perfect record of no one ever being permanently hurt that and she'd be very disappointed this class ruined her permanent record (laughs) or her her, not Mm -hmm. permanent record her her perfect record um like we have enough characterization of McGonagall at that point to totally get where she's coming from Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas like when Snape's talking about like, you know, potions are, are difficult and, and, uh, you know, dangerous and his, his weird opening speech is very different than McGonagall's. Um, but we get, but we we get both of those characters enough to totally get where they're coming from, even though they're kind of delivering the same message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's a good point. What about, uh, Alba's Percival Wolfric, Brian Dumbledore, Brian, your, your namesake. Yeah. That's who I was named after. <laughs> <laughs> God, I I hate this about myself. For a second, I was like, "Wait, that can't wait, be true." Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, All right, well, well done. I I forget how far you guys are, so I'll probably not say anything about that. Um, we, we the only times we've had with Dumbledore are Harry's first encounter. That's like the whole like where where he's like wearing pink robes and like he says explicitly like my job now is being mysterious at people, which I love that he verbs it. He's not saying I'm mysterious with people. I'm mysterious at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his encounter where he wins the fight with Snape and Dumbledore has that laughing fit. And it's like, well, the hero wins. I thought he was here for himself, but man, if he's here for his friends, 
yeah, uh, we're I'm I'm all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm glad that we at least explicitly had in that note from not serious. Um, then it's like, no, he pretends to be. He's only pretending to be insane. I was like, I had this like little twinge of worry that he was just going to be this sort of like comically insane character and not, not much more to him. So I'm glad we're going to get that. But yeah, we don't know much much at all about him up till now. Oh, you mean the Santa Claus notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, yeah, he so he gets the one about the uh, that comes with the cloak and says, "Don't trust Dumbledore because." He'll try and take the cloak from you. Um, he won't let the Deathly Hallows out of his possession. And then he gets another one saying, hey, look, some weird shit's been going on, huh? Here's a book on Occlumency. You should definitely read this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Dumbledore is actually really competent. Be careful around him, too. Um, yeah, I I admit that uh, at this point on my, like, when I was first reading this, I had the same c- concerns that you did. Um, whether or not those concerns are ever ameliorated, I'll never let you know. But, um, like... I, I had the same thing, like, after the first encounter with Dumbledore, I was like, wait, he's not, like, cool? He's just weird and confusing? Like, aw. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping we get more from Dumbledore as the story goes on, but maybe he'll be sidelined. Maybe he's the next Ron, so. And it was, yeah, so I was going to say, it was close on the heels of me having to swallow that Ron was just going to be this dolt that gets written out of the story. So. <laughs> it's not, I was not cool with that. Um, I think that's all I had in the notes, but, I mean, how, how are you feeling? You know, we're a little ahead of book one at this point. I think we're seven chapters ahead of here. But, like, are you are you having a fun time doing this, Brian? Oh, we're, yeah, we're, totally. We've been at this for a while. That's what I'm uh, – I totally get worried that people think I'm going to, like – like, I, I'm enjoying hating on it when I hate on it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's really cool. Um, and it's, it's sort of interesting how it, like – I mean, there's a – I think we're only, like, 25% of the way through. Um, I think we're twenty five percent of the way through the um, chapters. Yeah. Um, they get longer. I think some chapters are longer than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, we are not twenty five percent of the way through the word count. Oh really? Okay. Interesting. Um, no, yeah, it's really cool. I in it's but it's also like really stressful because I keep going on these like roller coasters of like not knowing what's going on with the story. I think I may like lay off of the Discord crack with it because I get like too caught up in my own like overthinking what i am thinking about it so we'll see i think that's a tough line to walk how did how did scott handle that during we've got worm um i mean people were pretty good about what well i think he generally stayed out of a lot of conversations just because there was always the fear that people were going to spoil um we only really got like maybe one instance of somebody spoiling something on purpose just to be a dick and probably People were very well behaved, but the thing is, people don't usually understand the implications of what they're saying. Like, like you've done yeah. a few times in here where you're like, I can't, I can't say anything about that, well, you know. And 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 some people will will they'll just go on in a direction where you're like, look, just by saying that, you've let me know that X Y Z character. Been, there's been several things. Yeah. People are like, but I could probably give tips to the people in Discord. You probably shouldn't discuss whether or not a thing is a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The discussing of something being a spoiler is already spoiling a little bit. So. Honestly, because then, yeah. then you know you need to give it extra analysis. But what were you going to say, Matt? Oh, oh, just that, like, like uh, people are just not that careful. <laughs> and I think the, the smart thing to do might just be to not uh, not engage. But, um, um, I, I don't know. It's unfortunate because I don't, I don't, I don't mean to blame people. Like, it's, it's, 
it's inevitable uh, that, that that's going to happen. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't know. I, I, I guess um, if I had to give advice, it would be avoid looking at any communication about the book uh, because uh, it's, it's just you, you can infer things from what people are talking yeah. about pretty easily. I think like the bigger one though is like I can't like I worry or I'm super like neurotically worried about just like pissing all over everybody's thing, um, and so it's but you know I'm having these like legit reaction to like you know you're not supposed to like somebody that acts this way, um, and so, but so I, I just get like too caught up in my head about worrying like so there's the what am I thinking and what am I thinking about what everybody else is going to think I'm thinking. Um, well, there's an easy yeah. solution to that, Brian. Just like everything. Exactly, and yeah. I'm good at that. Or, the, the other, the other solution is just to not care what everyone else thinks. Like, I'm really good I at mean, that too. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have said, "Hey, we should sit down and read this book together for a year." If I didn't think you would come out of it saying, "I'm glad I did that." Um, <laughs> like, I like it enough to where you know I'm probably a little blind just to like the fact that some people might not enjoy it. But um, and you know, that's the other difference between you know how Matt and Scott did theirs and how you and I did ours. We didn't know each other before we started this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I had on good authority Inyash's that like, Oh no, he, he seems fun. He'll, he, you know, I know we, we, I think you guys know each other for years. Um, and, uh, like this, this, this should be a good time. So, uh, you know, it's, if, if not everything works perfectly for you, I wouldn't, you know, be too worried about that. But, um, I think, I don't know. I, I think I came the closest as I've ever said in the last chapter, like, I don't want to tell you how to read the book. Although you'd gotten, I think you just simply misread something. It was like the whole yeah, yeah. Um, did you know Bellat or would Harry yeah. Neville with Bellatrix, etc. But like, I think if you hate something, if you notice that you're confused, like, or that something is just like this is terrible, maybe I don't know. Maybe I could put this better than I could. But like, maybe ask yourself like, if this was on purpose, or uh, assuming that this was on purpose, um, what's going on here? And if you can't answer that, maybe that's a deliberate thing. Um, yeah, or, or, or ask like what. Assume you're meant to feel that way, and then ask what yeah. what the author is trying to do with that. What's well, yeah, and that's part, the part that's been super confusing is then because a lot of it just like does seem that way, but then to hear people defend the thing that's bothering me, uh, I'm like so then I'm like, well, so I guess that is what we're supposed to think. But I think sometimes too, it's just like you know that was their take on it. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to convey this earlier, and then I kind of got caught up in myself because I was like, well, I don't want to do the, I don't want to say what direction is something something is going to go but but like i guess what i was trying to say is like i um it's it's easy to be defensive of your ya protagonist regardless of whether they grow as a person mm-hmm. right like like if 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 you if you attack katniss whatever whoever <laughs> like like even if she was wrong there's a lot of people who are still going to defend her and I, I don't know if it's necessarily that one-dimensional in this book, but um, I think I, I, I genuinely do think it is that simple that anytime you attack a character that people love, almost regardless mm-hmm. of context, they're going to feel defensive, and that's just yeah. that's just inevitable. And, and and we saw the same thing in our show where we were like, look, we're not attacking her. We're just pointing out what the book is obviously doing, what the author is clearly doing with this character, mm-hmm. but it feels like an attack. And... Um, and I don't know how to fix that. We did our whole show. And I don't think we figured out how to fix it other yeah. than to say, like, look, this we're talking about storytelling. 
I know that Taylor isn't a real person. I know that Harry Potter isn't a real person. <laughs> We're not hurting her feelings. We are talking about storytelling and the art of storytelling. And that's that's the point of this conversation. And I think that usually helps kind of put things in the right lens. But even that's not a, a panacea. Yeah. And I think you I got, said before, like, also, even if, if, like, if this all played, like if this was all on purpose, um, like all of this tension that I've all of this me being wound up all goes into the pile of, wow, that was really totally worth it. <laughs> of course, I'm just going to go like find the dude in San Francisco and shoot him in the kneecaps if it's not the case. <laughs> but. Oh dear. <laughs> I had to be like, I almost said something like, "Horse, go fucking kill him or something. And I'm like, wait, I'm being recorded. I shouldn't like threaten a person. On, like, I'm kidding. I, mean, I shouldn't threaten their life. I should just threaten serious so just bodily Serious <laughs> bodily harm. Because, yeah, you know, because that, that would be fine. Okay. I mean, I think I, I think you can spare him, and, and I'll just owe you an extra empanada if you end up not liking this book because <laughs> right. he didn't make you read it. I did. So that's, that's true. Um, yeah, I think you know, Matt. You had, you guys had the other good strategy of dealing with like uh, the audience having discontents with like your tr- your treatment of characters by just leaning into it and basically memeing it. <laughs> um, so they have an emoji on their Discord that's just like the letter Y and then like a, car- a cartoon drawn butt and it's Y butt. <laughs> you're being unfair to Taylor, um, <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. Like I, I think just leaning into that and then having that be around is just like a all right, cool. I don't and I, I in in you know maybe it was I, I was not on the Discord at the time you guys were doing this live, so maybe people were like nastily employing that, but I think it was funny. Um, and from where I'm coming at it two years later. So, yeah. Well, the, the other thing that had occurred to me, um, so I don't know anything about worm, like the, well, I know a tiny little bit, but because I think the other part that's complicated from my perspective with, uh, with this story is that it's not just some story that people like, but it's also a story about an entire like philosophy that there's an entire community of people very strongly identify with it. So there's gotta be some, at least if not, if not, logically at least on an emotional level if it feels like you know when i say like harry's being a fucking dick that i'm like shitting on rationality as a concept even if like that's not you know what i'm saying that's it's gonna feel that way yeah you're insulting our god yeah (laughs) (laughs) that has been like uncomfortably trying to tiptoe around like so i'm here to read your holy book uh, for the religion that you are trying to proselytize me into in a way they're probably not going to like it being characterized that way no that's well, pretty accurate well, just, well, not, not, <laughs> well it's funny but like there, the social one. the social dynamic of all of that going on is actually like very very similar sure there's one level of removal there is that this isn't our holy book the 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 context is that harry has read our holy books and by not liking his his uh employment of them then you're not liking the holy books that way so, so yeah, I'm, okay. I'm making a joke to the fact that on Less Wrong, the then that's uh, the author's username on fanfiction.net. Um, there's, I don't know, something like a million and a half words of essays um, that basically Harry is supposed to have read them, or at least most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that so when he talks about the methods of rationality, that's what he's talking about. So it's not so much that you're hating our holy book, you're hating a protagonist who's read our holy book. So see, I'm, I'm I'm actually now liking the idea that the sequences are the Old Testament and Matthew's rationality <laughs> is the New Testament. It's like and, yeah, um, it's got it's for the hip new young audiences to drag them into the faith. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to say that that's actually the case. Um, I, by the way, I declared myself the leader of the rationality movement on Twitter at one point, and no one um, challenged me. Um, so I just wanted to I think say that, that publicly here on the podcast. That's how that works. 
that for like over a year now i've i've been the leader of the rationality movement just in case anybody didn't know um yet just fyi yeah it's true i'm sure that that Crazy. comment is, is going to be long term or is it like end by like trial by combat i mean if anybody comes and challenges me i guess i'll have to take the challenge but All right. i'm 87 percent confident you'll burst into flames <laughs> <laughs> that um, hasn't happened yet oh you mean eventually <laughs> oh shit well, no, that's from that. There was an opening chapter with that line, and that's from this like D and D comic. Um, I'll see if I can find it. Inyash sent it to me because he was the one who, who. Well, I'm sure he, I'm not sure when he noticed, but he sent it before we hit that chapter, and I forgot to put it in the show notes. Um, but that that line, you know, like how he opens each chapter with like random gobbledygook about yeah. J.K. Rowling or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was like J.K. Rowling is 87 percent sure you'll burst into flames. It's like D and D characters and all these panels. One of them is like the Bayesian something. And she says, "I'm eighty-seven percent. You'll burst. In, you'll burst on fire, and that's how she kills her enemy." Um, it it plays funnier in the comic. Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, all right, Stephen, I'll take your word for it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have much else. Um, I mean, Matt, you're the one who's done this project before, and uh, again, that's you know the the homage has been there the entire time, everything from the name to the constant references. But um, I mean. I'm I'm open to to constructive feedback from everybody, but especially from you, because you're the one who's who's walked this road before. Um, you know, any anything you're like, man, I think that if I could do, we've got worm again, I might do this. Is there any advice like that you could give for us? Oh, I I mean, I I've been enjoying the show. I, I think that a big part of of each one of these, I mean, there's the packed one going on with our Australian friends. They're doing deep impact where they're doing the read through of pact and like what what is really evident to me after having seen a few of these um, and even some outside of the Doof network, believe it or not, um, is that it depends a lot on the, on the dynamic of the hosts. And I, I, I think just whatever kind of magic arises between you guys is going to be the, the fun part, you know? Um, I, I think you guys are doing a great job um, covering the the story reacting to it and and pointing out interesting things that um that i wouldn't have thought of and i think one of the one of the coolest things is just you're kind of creating a locus for discussion of these books that hasn't existed right like like most of us who are following this show we kind of haven't thought of methods of rationality much since it came out i mean i mean it it meant a lot to me and it kind of influenced my thinking but I, i would not think of it a single time in stretches of months and now you're giving us all kind of a an excuse to talk about it again and to to talk about it on the reddit or the discord or wherever and um that's that's really cool and you should feel good about yourselves for providing that for people i think oh well yeah i I do feel that that was nice thanks man i don't know what to say other than like it's one of those things where um like I wish somebody was doing this. In fact, I tried to get you and Scott to do it, but you guys are busy. So <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'll do it. Um, and it is nice. Like I said, I, or like you said, I, I'm with you in that I had a lot of fun reading this five years ago and, um, well, I guess, you know, five plus, but it finished five years ago mm-hmm. and it, that doesn't seem like that long, but it's been years and you know, it's, it's still fun. And hopefully, you know, this will introduce some, in fact, I know it's introduced at least one person to this, to the books. So that's cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I think there's a few people on Doof who are, who are checking out it for the first time. Um, oh, yeah, now that, now that we've merged with you guys and it's hitting a whole wider audience. Yeah, I always say start the podcast you want to see in the world. 
That's what I was going to say. I think you had a line in on Discord that I liked where it was like, yeah, podcast of the new blogs. Yeah. Um, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I had a blog in 2012 or something for like a year. Um, and yeah, it seems like now everyone and their, and their friend has a podcast. But it's like, yeah, you know, this, this, is, this is more fun than typing by myself. I do that all day for work. It's, um, you know, I'm not typing words but it's like i sit off i sit in front of a computer by myself all day like this is sitting in front of a computer by myself on the phone with somebody so it's a lot of it adds a whole dimension of fun yeah and it adds the adds has the added benefit that you can read you know not read but you can enjoy this in the car while you're driving whereas they can't with a blog so exactly yeah consuming media with your ears is tight <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't have anything else for this one what about you guys Mm, we got another like 28 minutes we need to fill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, I was just going to say, um, you know, if, you're, if your podcast listening time is not filled up, you might want to check out Kingslingers, where Scott and I are just starting out on our journey through Stephen King's The Dark Tower uh, uh, mm-hmm. series of novels. I am committed to starting that. I know my brother's read those books and he recommended them. And, uh, well, correct me, this is the one that Idris Elba was in that movie of, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, my understanding is that the movie is, like, radically movie. different, but uh, and I haven't seen it, um, and I'm not supposed to watch it, obviously. I've heard it's terrible. Um, but, uh, but yes, in theory. Okay, yeah, so that is the same book series. My brother read and recommended these, and then said the book, or the movie didn't live up to him. But, yeah, I want to check it out. I'm all over it. Um, it's There's nothing keeping me other than, I don't know, laziness. I have time. I just, I don't know. Um I will get on that. Mainly, I listen to to uh, the Doofcast, where you guys cover movies and TV and um, uh, book reviews and stuff on there. But yeah, we've got Ward was awesome, is awesome. We've got Worm was awesome. It's probably still worth going back and if you ever if anyone is like, oh, I wonder what this ter- Taylor character they're talking about. I should read Worm. I can't recommend We've Got Worm enough. Uh, it just like We've Got Ward, and I know I put this in my iTunes review, but like you guys. The, the slow, like, deliberative analysis of it adds so much to my consumption of it. Because even when I am not binge reading something like I'm doing with, you know, like I did when I read Worm, even when I read Ward, I read the chapter almost as fast as I can once. Mm-hmm. And, like, I want to I see what happens as fast as I can get there. And getting a, a revisit and pointing out of themes and, and character moments, that's, like, stuff that I almost completely always miss the first time. So, um yeah, well, thanks, I mean, Steven. seriously, if, if anyone's listening to this and hasn't listened to anything that Matt and Scott have done, you guys are doing yourselves a disservice. Go to Doofcast, type in the name of any movie or TV show that you like, and it'll probably pop up. <laughs> if it doesn't, try your second favorite um, and listen to them talk about it. It's great. Well, thanks, Steven. Appreciate that. I mean, every word. All right. You guys ready to call it a night? I think so. It's a night. Awesome. Well, th- thanks cool, for joining thanks. us, Matt. Oh, and actually, I've got one last thing. It'll only take a second. Uh, we have a Patreon supporter who joined us on the Doof Network, Emilio Alvarez, joined Welcome. at the Doof Dancer level. Um, I won't get notifications for everyone who joins from listening to this. I think you've got a ping. Uh, I think there's something when you sign up, you can fill out like a short survey. So fill that out if you want them to know that you came from here. But um, I do know that, that Emilio was had joined as a uh, Patreon or a Patreon supporter because they were having difficulty getting onto the Discord there, so they messaged me. And it worked out. But anyway, thank you to Emilio and anyone else who wants to donate donate on Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash doofmedia. And yeah, that's all I got. All right, good night. All right, thanks, everybody. Thanks.